This is HPR episode 2251 entitled HPR New Year Show episode 5. It is hosted by various hosts and is about 170 minutes long and carries an explicit flag. The summary is Hacker Public Radio New Year's Eve Show episode 5. This episode of HPR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's HPR15. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com. You know, this is the very first time that I've I've seen this many people on this channel. Usually I always see like anywhere from one to three on here and hardly ever anybody on here. Well, happy New Year's. Happy New Year's to you too. Well this no this New Year's show brings out the the people out of the woodwork, I should say. Yeah, we had people from Open Linux community here and Jupiter Broadcasting here. Yeah, it's been pretty big today. I was on one of the first ones they did, and it was pretty it was pretty awesome. So when does Ken normally record his monthly wrap-up of the HPR stuff? Last Saturday before the first Monday of the month, I believe. Though they did last month, last Thursday. Probably earlier in the day since he's European time, huh? Yeah, it's usually like right at lunchtime for me. Yeah, that's probably about when I get up. Anyone go to this year, this past year's Southeast Linux? Oh, you're pretty faint. I didn't hear what you said. I said that anybody go to this past year's Southeast Linux Fest. Not I. I haven't been back there in a couple of years. Just wondered if it was still the same. I used to follow Dave Yates and a couple of Southern guys that were a bunch of community members when they had that little group for a bunch of supporters over there, but I haven't heard anything from him lately. I know Dave dropped out quite a few years back. Well, he did the first two, I think, and then life got in the way, and he had to bail out on that, and Jeremy took it over, and he's been running ever since, I think. Yeah, I think Jeremy and another guy had a podcast for a while, or a video cast, and they quit doing that. Yeah, Jeremy, was uh, he was doing a couple uh, podcasts as well. That's going pretty t- far back, I guess. We need Linux Basement back. Dave Yates is one of the first ones I ever listened to when I started Linux. Yeah, I miss his stories about running Debian on his Spark or Sun Station, whatever that was. That giant hardware. Giant hardware. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did in, in the closet. Is this any better? I just turned it up a little bit. Oh, a little bit. You just sound kind of far away. I feel far away. Now it should be a little louder far away. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, and Chess Griffin. I used to listen to Chess Griffin all the time. Yeah, a lot of good shows in the recycle bin. 
Yeah, I remember he did a hundred shows, and that's where he stopped. Um, I can't even remember the name of his show, but he he had really a good show. I think you can still find it on archive.org. <clears throat> yeah, I used to use his version of Bash Potter before I put my podcast on my phone. Yeah, he was big in the Slackware. Yeah, him and Dan and Klaatu with Slackware. <laughs> yeah, where is uh, the old Klaatu? I haven't heard him on today. Oh, he's probably got another three, hour, three or four hours before his New Year's. No, his is before ours, isn't it? New Zealand? Oh, does that one start first? He's right around the beginning of it, I think. Because the last one is, what, Hawaii, isn't it? Probably the last U.S. one. I thought Australia and New Zealand were last, but I guess they were first. I missed them. No, yeah, no, Australia. no. Australia is definitely ahead of us by like 10 hours or something. Yeah, by quite a bit more than that, I thought. No, I thought it was a half a day ahead. Because Peter 64, Peter 64 used to come on at like uh, early morning for him, and it would be like late afternoon for us. All right, 9 o'clock in New Zealand right now on January 1st, p.m. Yeah, and what's Australia? Oh, I thought Klaatu was in New Zealand. Oh, he is, yeah, but Peter 64 is in Australia. I'm just wondering the difference in time. I think it's about three hours, ain't it? Yeah, it couldn't be more than just a few. Yeah, so that puts Claude 2 13 hours ahead of us. No, six, what's uh, 16 hours, right? New Zealand's 13 hours ahead of GMT. Okay, so it's 9 p.m. there, right? Yeah, but he's about 20 hours ahead of me. In Arizona. Oh, yeah, right. It's 3, it's 3 a.m. here, and it's what? It's uh, midnight there? Yeah, it's 1 o'clock. Okay, so you're only two, right? Two hours difference. He might have been on the very beginning of the show. I don't think I caught the very beginning. I missed quite a bit today. I had it running on my phone, and uh, with, the ear, with my uh, Bluetooth earpiece in. That's me suffering for not paying for cellular account. Oh, I was running off the Wi-Fi from the house. Right, but when I was out running around, I had to leave the Wi-Fi. Ah, yes, this is true. You don't have many hot spots out there? Not in my car. Actually, there's one spot where if I'm waiting to cross the train tracks and there's a train there, I'm right across the street from a Starbucks and I can get theirs. Oh, yeah, they got Google Wi-Fi in there now. I did a half a dozen conversions here for... Uh... Google's new stuff in uh, Starbucks. They've taken over even all the grocery store coffee. Google, you mean? Yeah, I guess so. I used to just be able to get a cup of coffee, and now i got to buy a $5 Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, that's how much their coffee is, ain't it? $4 a change. Hey, you know, I got a really good Starbucks deal not too long ago. If it wasn't free, it ain't a good deal in Starbucks, in my opinion. Well, you know, the bag of Starbucks coffee is about 12 bucks, you know. One day I was in CVS, and they had the bags for like five ninety nine. And I says, what? You got to be kidding me. So I decided to get two of them, and I got the Starbucks English breakfast. And that's the coffee that it's not too weak, and it's not too strong. It's right in the middle. It's just right. I like every, like every, time, every time I go to Starbucks, it just tastes like burnt coffee beans to me. Yeah, don't ever get anything dark at Starbucks. 
The espresso is overdone for sure. So any espresso drink always tastes like that. I just get regular coffee and it tastes like that. I'm like, oh, this is terrible. Who would drink this stuff? My ex-boyfriend. I do drink quite a bit of coffee, but man, I've been really enjoying the Pu'er teas. A friend of mine orders them from some supplier from L.A. Oh, they're incredible. How do you spell that? Ah, uh, P-U-R, maybe? P-U-E-R, maybe? It's a type of teas, but they they he gets them in vintage. He's like, oh, look at this vintage, like a wine almost. It's It's crazy. Oh, that's just the tea leaves, and you put them, you run them through the strainer with the hot water? No strainer, you just make them in some clay pots and teapots and stuff. Yeah, I had a friend of mine send me a couple, I don't know, three or four different kinds. I didn't even, haven't even got to try them yet. The different teas really need to be brewed slightly different. Some of these need to be uh, stressed with the hot water first and rinsed. And then super flash brewed, and you get some real nice floral tones. It's it's really interesting how they they have such a distinctly different flavor profile. Yeah, my wife is the tea drinker. I just uh, any any kind of plain coffee you can give me is is good enough for me, except for Starbucks. We're fortunate over here. We do a lot of work for the coffee growers' websites and signs and labels and all kinds of stuff. So we get a good variety of samples from different people and some people we find that we like, we actually buy from them. And one of the differences you can notice in a coffee whole bean is if you look in the bag and if there's any chips whatsoever, in other words, non-whole beans, they're not really paying attention to how they sort their coffee. And so when you get a bunch of little chips and stuff, when they roast it that way, it kind of throws the flavor off. So you'll notice a difference, actually. Pretty much anybody can notice the difference between something like a Starbucks, you know, 6,000 kinds of different bean pieces and chips in there, and one that's actually just all whole beans. Um, so that's something to look for if you have the ability to look in the bag before you actually buy it. I remember years ago, we used to go to, uh, I think it was... A&P or ShopRite, and they used to have the 8 o'clock coffee. You buy in the beans, and you take them up to the register, and you grind them yourself. Yeah, when I lived in Texas, the big chain over there is H-E-B Grocery Store. And before I left, they started having all these kind of bulk food kind of things. They basically turned every store into like a semi-whole foods kind of layout. And so they had this really good coffee, and they had... Um, several different kinds, and actually the French roast was actually good. And you can see in those bulk bins that they're actually whole beans and not a bunch of chips. So it usually turns out pretty good. Yeah, that's the way these were. They were, they were, everybody raved about them. And I mean, they weren't expensive at all, but they were pretty good. I, I think they were Colombian beans anyway, but I don't know. They were pretty good. I mean, they always smell good when you, when you ground the coffee. Yeah, if you see any of those real light, pale-looking beans, you got to get rid of those, too, because they're horrible if you grind them in. They're like uh, runts, ain't they? They're ungrown. They didn't grow enough. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with them, but they don't roast for some reason, they're, and they smell crappy. If you don't grade the beans by the size, you can actually get, I think there's like four different sizes of beans. 
but the extra fancy is like the big beam and the fancy is a little bit smaller. Then they have just the general, which is smaller than that. And there's one called um, Peaberry. And the Peaberry is the one that everywhere except Hawaii, they consider trash beans and they don't typically put them in. But they're small because they're one bean per pod. So if you think of like a cherry, like a cherry soda, you know, cherry fruit, each bean is a cherry, basically. And so inside that cherry, you get two halves of a coffee bean. Well, the pea berry is just one bean in there instead of two halves. And so this pea berry, they've turned into a kind of a premium thing over here. And so if you buy Hawaiian coffee and it's pea berry, it's going to be like $10 a bag more for that kind of coffee. When you go elsewhere, nobody actually uses that pea berry. They throw it out. So it's kind of a weird dynamic. I really enjoy the Ethiopian pea berry in a light roast. And a friend of mine buys his beans green and roasts them himself. And he gave me some of this Ethiopian pea berry that he roasted earlier in the day. And he told me it had blueberry notes to it. And I laughed and said, yeah, whatever. I brewed it and by God, it tasted like blueberries. Blueberry coffee, huh? Just notes, kind of like where they say the wine tastes like tobacco, but it doesn't taste like you're eating a cigarette. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, different coffees with the light roast, it's kind of like tea. Like you're talking about the tea, it's you, if you handle it a little bit differently, you get completely different flavors out of the same bean a lot of times. Well, that counts, counts on how you uh, grind it too, right? Yeah, somewhat, but, you know, there's several different things you have to consider when you're making it. Are you making it for an espresso drink? Are you making it as a drip coffee drink, French press, or whatever? They're all going to have a different grind. And even if you take three different kinds of coffee and grind them the same espresso grind, they're going to taste different because you ground them differently. So you can kind of tweak it. And if you've ever seen, like, coffee competitions where they do what's called coffee cupping and then they'll go off into the weeds and they'll have the you know the barista competition where they have to you know make up some new drink or whatever those guys really get into the weird details of all this stuff it's kind of interesting but i'm not that proficient at it myself even to the point of grinding them within a certain period of time after the roast yeah, usually you want to wait a couple of days before you grind any coffee after it's roasted. The guy that owns the company I work for roasts coffee, and so we'll buy green coffee from places around here, and he'll order some online, and he roasts it at home, and it, it's always a little bit different. And I've roasted it too, and I kind of like a little bit darker. He likes a little bit lighter. But, um, yeah, they'll, they'll taste different if you just handle it just a little bit differently, grind it a little bit differently. It's kind of interesting. I like a nice light roast in the morning, but my, an afternoon cup, nice, dark, rich with milk. That So it really depends on what you're looking for, I guess. I've taken and brewed a whole pot in the morning, drank one or two cups out of it, and then put it in the refrigerator and made iced coffee out of it later on in the evening. Ah, uh, in the summer around here, I make a pot of coffee, put it in the fridge, then pour it into ice cube trays for my iced coffee. Ah, uh, now that's a good idea.
Iced coffee goes way too fast, though. Yeah, I put French vanilla creamer in it, so it definitely goes fast. We've got a nice burr grinder at work that we use for work coffee, and then I found during the Amazon Thanksgiving sale or whatever, they had this, one of the panels was a hand grinder. It was a ceramic conical hand grinder. It's like a, you know, you turn it in your hand. And it was like a $50 grinder for 20 bucks. So I started looking at them, and they have exactly the same $50 grinder for like 7 bucks. <laughs> the difference is the handle on it is plastic instead of stainless steel. But everything else is identical. So I got one of those, and then about a week later, it went a dollar cheaper. So I got another one. So I've got two like $7 hand grinders that are identical. They're stainless steel body. They're you know ceramic grinder gears inside for you know 15 bucks, and they're selling this stuff for 50 bucks. And it's a lot nicer with the the conical grinder because it. It's an even grind, so you don't get that dust. The dust kind of makes it a bitter taste if you don't filter it out. Oh, the burr grinders are far superior. Yeah, I, don't, I just don't have room in my kitchen for an electric one, so the hand grinder one is fine. Espresso takes a little bit longer. It's probably like five minutes to grind a double shot. That's something I, that's something I was off the grid for. for Go ahead. I, that's something I could never get accustomed to was an espresso. It's just not my cup of tea, so to say. I like coffee myself. We've got a coffee shop here in town that everybody loves, but they don't serve coffee. Everything is espresso. And if you ask for a cup of coffee, they give you an Americano. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Just, just make an Americano. It's the same thing. Poured over ice, I could slightly agree with that. I usually do a four-shot espresso latte in the morning, and then at work we have coffee in the afternoon, and then I might have another one at night. A lot of coffee drinking over here. I'm thinking that I might want a cup of coffee now before I go to bed. Yeah, I've kind of had to back off a little bit on the coffee because of my blood pressure. They said, uh, you're drinking too much coffee. I said, okay. I do find it messing with my circulation a bit. I think if I had a three or four shot espresso in the morning, I'd have heart palpitations or something. They'd have to peel me off the ceiling. You drink one Mountain Dew and it feels like four cups of coffee. That's the Mountain Dew doesn't do that to me. I don't know why. We used to drink Jolt back in high school all day. Oh yeah, Jolt Cola. I remember that. All the sugar, twice the caffeine. I wonder if the Dory Dory Geek still puts uh, caffeine in his water. Wasn't that coffee? Well, no. I think he had liquid caffeine that he would buy online somewhere. And he, you know, a bottle of water, you know, bottled drinking water, nothing in it. He'd put this liquid caffeine in it, and he'd have that instead of coffee, I guess. I don't know. Sounds like something Dora would do. I have no problem drinking a cup of coffee and going to bed. It doesn't bother me in the least. Actually, Lipton tea hits me harder than any of the coffee I drink. Well, I read a while back that tea has more caffeine than coffee. I don't know how. I don't know. 
Well, the heat from grind, from roasting the beans does kill some of the co- caffeine. In coffee, you mean? Yes. So the lighter the roast, the more caffeine you have in that bean. Ah, that explains a light breakfast blend then, huh? Get you going in the morning? Yes, sir. And the Earl Grey. Yeah, like Picard, right? Earl Grey hot. So has anyone made an HPR episode this year? Or last year? Yeah, we put out five of them a week. No, I mean anyone in the chat right now. No, not I. I'm just getting back into the forums and everything. I didn't put one out before this year, but this year I did a few. Figured I'd listen to you guys talk about stuff for seven or eight years before I contribute. Well, you're putting one out now. Yeah, you're fulfilling your two-year commitment today. Oh, I think I think I did. I can't even think right now because I'm kind of tired. But I think I did maybe three or four this year. Probably the ones that you guys all decided not to listen to because they didn't sound interesting. I'll be honest with you, I haven't listened to any in about two years, so I have a lot of catching up to do, so I'll let you know. I don't think I've skipped any, so I've probably heard yours, too. Started with uh, automotive billing. I did one on my buddy, the neighborhood cat, and my most recent was on art appreciation. I might have done another one. I can't remember right now. I think the art one is in my queue still, but I heard the other one. I always go through the list and I pick out the ones that I'm interested in first, then I fill in later on. Ah, that was my other one, was splitting a block of beeswax. Oh yeah, I could never figure out what, what that was for. Why were you splitting a block, block of beeswax? Um, I'm not entirely sure what I'm doing with all of it, but I am going to make some solves with some of it. And I was splitting it because I only owned one quarter of it. Oh, yeah, I knew why you were splitting it, but I didn't know what the ultimate use of it was. It'll have multiple uses. Did you use a bandsaw? I used a knife and a heat gun. As in heating the knife up? Yes. And it was in real time, it seemed like, because it took a long time. (laughs) Actually, now that I remember, I had to chop out a bunch of that audio because it was horrible quality that I promised I would uh, redo for an episode. That's it. Now you have to do it. I do. It was one I've been meaning to do for a while about a pretty simple clay project that anyone could do and get a good pot out of it. I guess I'll have to listen to that one. I'm pretty sure that most people probably cut out while the heat gun was going for the second time, but at the end of the episode there is an offer for anyone who wants to come find me in Flagstaff, Arizona for uh, free pots. Well, be careful how you uh, tote that free pot now. Yeah, I was going to say that a lot of people go a long way for free pot. Yeah, my thought exactly. Well, I'm going to be firing up the kiln here pretty soon, so we'll be smoking some pots too. Oh, they'll definitely be coming in droves then. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Hickop 45 on... Uh... YouTube always do does a shooting show or whatever and has a, like a gallery and has clay pots out there and he's like, oh yeah, we're going to smoke us a pot. I don't know, guns and smoking pot doesn't sound like a good combination. 
we got a drive-through liquor store here that used to have the sign up that said Ruff's Guns and Liquor. And he changed the sign, but he still sells guns and liquor through the drive-through. I remember when I was a kid, we went out to uh, Phoenix for when my nephew was born, and my brother-in-law worked for a liquor store, and that's when Coors was not in the East Coast yet. Coors was like something new out there in Arizona, and everybody was everybody was buying it because it was like ninety-nine cents a six-pack. I think it was six months later. It showed up in the East Coast for about $4.69 a six-pack. No, I mean, they even made a movie about it. Yeah, wasn't that Smoking the Bandit in the forest? Yeah. Made from Rocky Mountain spring water. They made a movie and a song. Well, now it's bars around here. Go ahead. No, please don't. (laughs) You were saying... Oh, I was just saying that around here, they uh, upsell Paps Blue Ribbon at the bars. $4.50. Oh, my God. A little PBR. Holy cow. You have to wear a trucker hat when you get it, though. With a big old chain drive wallet. This is a university town, so it's whatever's hip is what they sell. Oh, my God. I can't believe that. Paps Blue Ribbon. I'm, I'm... And the the town's full of breweries. You can get good beer everywhere. Yeah, but you can't get PBR. Well, even Rolling Rock was cool at one time. Oh, yeah, them little seven-ounce nips, man. They were the best. You could buy an eight-pack of those and have four of them gone before you left the parking lot. The rockets are starting to fly. What time is it there? 10.35. Well, you all have a nice evening. I will be back on in the morning sometime. Talk to another bunch. Pleasure talking to all you. And 5150, you can tell everybody that I didn't die or anything like that. So, Okay, I'll pass it along, Art. All right, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to everybody. Have a good night. Does anybody have a classic New Year's movie they watch? Everybody's favorite Christmas movie seems to be Die Hard, but I don't know about the... Uh, particular New Year's movie. I really think of Trading Places. I never thought of Die Hard. I guess that could be Christmas. I always liked that Die Hard that was in uh, New York because they had this great chase scene on the Bronx River Parkway, which was one of my favorite roads to drive down. I always thought it was neat. They were driving those giant trucks under the city. Am I back? You are back. You're there. Yeah... Uh, oh, my ISP has dropped me like six times in the last hour. I'm not happy. I'm probably going to channel my frustration into buying a handgun. Probably Russian hackers. Eek. Well, then I should buy a Russian handgun. There you go. Yeah. Like yeah. To- I'm Ankarov. Yeah, I'd like to put yeah, some Russian hackers towards some bootloaders for some of these Android phones. I've actually seen some videos, uh, you know, very highly prizing the Makarov, but in this case, the one I've been looking at is a uh, is a plastic Smith and Wesson that's uh, on uh, uh, law enforcement trade in. Yeah, the reason why I like the Makarov is because it's. 
The sights was perfect on that sucker. Oh, and another good one, it would be an M16 machine gun. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the ARM-16. I am in the market for a uh, Mini-30. When I was in high school, we went to West Point, shot the the M-16, the A-2s. It felt like a toy. I I don't know if I'd want one of those. You're back 50? I am. And screw my ISP. I feel like that sometimes. Well, I just walked into all kinds of problems today. It was just right after midnight. All kinds of stuff was like giving me trouble. That's when you just say the heck with it and go to bed. You know, I got really excited a couple of days ago about, I saw some cartoon on Google where uh, this is a picture of a little mouse uh, burning down 2016 saying, it's all yours, 2017. I got really excited. I said, man, 2017 is going to be a great year, blah, blah. Going to hit the ground running. I'm going to do a bunch of stuff, you know, accomplish this, accomplish that. I just got all kinds of happy. And then uh, December the 31st came in, and all hell broke loose. Like, maybe 2016 wasn't so bad. (laughs) Yeah, I think I saw the same cartoon two or three times. So, yeah, you know, uh, I'm hoping the rest of us don't... uh... Uh, copy your experience with 2017. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to hang in there. I really am trying to hang in there and say, and, and Linda, man, she's just a gem at these kind of things. You know, it's like, I mean, like every disaster, it seemed like every disaster that could happen happened, you know, and, uh, little kittens in there. She's like, Oh, this is good news. No, don't, don't, don't diss the new year yet. And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe it's like, you know, we were dissing it and saying how good it was to be gone. So maybe it's one of those deals you never knew what you had until it's gone. But uh, I haven't given up yet. I'm staying strong. But uh, I came in here to do the Hacker Public Radio thing. My, uh, I've got, I've got this setup that's just way too complex, and I'm, I'm trying to lighten the load a lot. Like I think. I forgot how many rows of monitors that we counted in this house, mounted to walls and stuff, but it's, you know, like, I don't know, 17 rows of monitors on the walls in various spots. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm serious. You could, I've posted a couple of pictures of what my work area looks like, and it's, I think there's 27 monitors in this room. It's too much. I've got to, I've got to dial back. And, uh, you know, one of the things I did was, uh, I said, well, I'm going to get rid of that top row and pull those machines and just be done with it. And I had made, I, I had experimented with a mumble to Skype to uh, Google Hangouts bridge that bridged it all together. It was pretty cool, too. And I had it all, the sound was all hooked up with mixed minuses uh, using optical cables. And so I had all of this stack of firewire boxes, audio boxes, a whole stack of them, and they were all, you know, uh, one optical going into the other, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the ins and outs crossed and, and everything, and, and had it all hardware locked because you got to get the timing on the, the uh, I guess you got a, a master chip that sends out a clock signal for optical audio, and everything else syncs up to it. 
And I had forgotten about that, that the machines were sitting there. My main machine that I use for mumble and whatnot, sitting there trying to clock up to these machines that aren't there anymore. And it's audio just went to heck. And uh, it's like, what is the deal with that? Yeah, finally, and, and when I first came into the room, my audio was just horrible, and that's one of the reasons why. But uh, no sooner than I got up, I got up and turned around to go reboot that machine, and uh, I kicked a, uh, a stack of 100 DVDs across the room by accident, containing all kinds of great stuff. And not movies, it's all data, you know, backups of operating systems and DMs and pilers and whatnot. I had to find all those and clean all the dust off because they all hit the floor and stack them all up and renumber them and whatnot. It's just been one thing after another. Well, no, the reason I, I laugh is because yesterday I thought I was the extreme geek. I had a, you know, I, I go around to the uh, thrift stores and if I find like a uh, 15 inch LCD I can get for three, four, five bucks. I'll grab it. And, uh, occurred to me the other day, I've got the PS Sense, uh, box, you know, doing my routing. And then I've got another box running Nagios, uh, uh, Pi 2, you know, screwed to the board in my, at my point of, uh, uh, you know where the internet comes in and all that. You know, in, in, in my in, in my room where the network is, and I'm thinking, you know, I thought, well, I could use a monitor in here, uh, so that um, if I have a, a you know catastrophic problem on one of these machines, I can plug a monitor into it rather than actually you know disconnecting it from the system and bringing it you know, into another room. So the way I did that is <coughs> I got like a 10-inch barn hinge and drilled it to match the visa mounts on the back of one of these little monitors. And, I, you know, I just hung it, hung, hung it in there. You know, I've got a board where stuff is screwed, you know, uh, hardware screwed to, so I screwed half the uh, hinge into that and then... The other hinge I drilled out to match the visa mounts on the, uh, you know, like 13-inch uh, monitor and hung it there. So I've got a monitor there in that room. Uh, if the wheels come off of something, I, you know, I've got a monitor there where I can plug stuff into and uh, see what's going on, you know. But you, know, you mentioned like 17 rows of monitors, and I am not, you know, uh, I, I bow to you and your geekness because I'm not, you know, I'm not worthy. Oh, it's just a row of monitors. I mean, just bunches of them. It's a bunch of holes in the wall I'm going to have to patch as I pull them down. I'm getting rid of them. <laughs> uh, it's all work-related. I don't, uh, I'm, I've got to dial back. I seriously got to dial back, especially if Linda and I are ever going to sell this this damn place and get out of Florida. I've got to figure out a way to get out of here. You know, people talk about, oh, you know, my workroom looks like a tech explosion. My whole house looks like a tech explosion. I mean, I've got piles of. Well, I think of it. We talked about that on the last Linux webcast. I've got piles of stuff from here to 
the garage and back and every room, including the bedroom, just piled high. And I can't deal with this anymore. I got to do something. I remember a happy life when I had a couple of laptops. One of them was an emergency laptop for when I spill my coffee. And I got by just fine. I don't need screen burn. <laughs> well, you know, you've heard me talk about, you know, building the new house and it's like telling the contractor, yeah, I don't want to be uh, more than four feet from Ethernet any pl- any place in the house, and in the, and in the office, I don't want to be more than two feet. And so, you know, like a, the hospital, a network connector or something. Yeah, uh, uh. you know, got Ethernet built into the walls, and then you know, like here, right here in the house, about eye level when you're sitting down, I've got uh, above the desk. You know, I've got every two feet uh, a four-panel Ethernet, you know, four, uh, four wired Ethernet connectors. And then the rest of the house is along four level, but, it, you know, it's, it's every four feet. Oh, I did that. When we moved into this house back in, what was it, 90, 96, 98, this brand-new house, I had a little over a mile of Cat 5 put into the walls all going through the uh, roof the roof space crawl space up there well it's a hip roof it's not a crawl space it's a stand up and stretch space <clears throat> but anyway long story short the guy that put the uh put the cat five in he cheaped out uh, you know at the time you could uh get two connections out of a cat five cable because it was just you know you could run a hundred megabits out of each side Right, whether you could do full duplex or not. Yeah, yeah. So he ended up wiring the whole house half duplex, and I didn't realize it at the time. And, uh, of course, you know, it wasn't that much longer before gigabit switches came out and plugged it in and said, hey, what the heck? And, you know, called him up, and he's like, I don't do that business anymore. And so I can see why I... You know, paid a lot of money to have a literally a mile of Cat Five run up in there, and uh, so we ended up. I've got I've got the same situation in every wall. There is no less than four Cat Five connections and two phone lines. This is back when dial-up was you know popular, and uh, we had two phone lines and uh, four Cat Fives in every wall as a minimum. You know, I mean, in some places, there is a lot more than that. And it all turned out to be fairly worthless in the end. Um, we have, we made some connectors to re-duplex some of that, and so we could run some Cat5, but then some animal got up there in the attic and ate into the cables. And so um, then we were going to do this podcasting thing where we we wired up a microphones and cameras and made a little studio in the garage and the living room and here and there uh linda and our uh office girl at the time uh made trunk cables going through the house and uh there are some six inch trunk cables going through this house i kid you not i posted some pictures on google of this stuff it's crazy and I've started a slow process of yanking all that stuff out. I am um, backing the machines up one last time and starting to decommission them. 
and the few that I'm going to keep, I'm nuking and paving them and plan to put what I call no OS. I want just a desktop with almost nothing that, nothing that phones home. I may build the file manager. I'm building the notepad. I'm, I'm mad about the, the little file managers like Nautilus and whatnot are susceptible to a drive by, uh, exploit where you can take a specially crafted, uh, image file, for example, or sound file and throw it in a directory somewhere. And then you can navigate somewhere close to that directory. And because of the file preview or whatnot, it'll go run out and try to generate thumbnails or previews for the files. And as it picks them up and runs them through whatever library, your exploit happens. And some of this stuff, even if you turn off previews and stuff, it still runs out and gets file information. And I'm like, that's just, that's more than I need. I don't want that. I just, you know, need some basic tools. And then I'll run everything in a VM and let it get crapped out by something. You know what I mean? I want lightweight OS and just run everything in a VM. So I'm busy as heck decommissioning machines. We'll back them up for the last time decommissioning them, and then trying to get some systems put together that are just nuked and paved and cleaned out. It's been a lot of work. Yeah, I noticed that from the last few times you joined us, you know, uh, the minimalist thing. And, you know, when I, uh, at least when I ran the cable here in this house, well, the contractor pulled all the cable, but I did all the terminations. You know, so, uh, you know, all the wall plates, that's me, uh, the patch, the patch panels at the, at the center of the network, that's all me. Yeah, that's what I should have done. But, you know, I was busy at the time and, and, uh, it's like, you know, hey, pay the contractor guy, you know, he'll get it right. Contractor guys rarely get anything right. Well, I've had one guy, he's really good, man. I mean, I, I was shocked, uh, at some of the work this guy did in like less than an hour. Anyway, it's a long story, but like one of these miracle workers that come in and you just sit back, total amazement at the job that they do and the price they do it at. Go, wow. But, um, yeah, this guy, I got, got kind of burned on my cat file. I don't guess it would have made that much a difference anyway, because whatever animal got in there chewed through half that stuff. Mm. That I haven't really had a problem with. I've had mice and stuff in the house. I think I finally got rid of all of them here recently. But uh, and occasionally, I you know I I have had some dead circuits. But uh, I think that's just because you know the uh, cabling I had you know was made for infrastructure and it's not you know it's it's kind of stiff you know so if somebody did a real short corner on it and probably break it. But, uh, you know, you, you got to look at that. and You got you have different cabling for going vertically than horizontally and different stuff for making, you know, your own patch cables as, as far as doing your infrastructure. So, uh, but, yeah, I, I've had pretty good luck so far. I've got to redo the routers. I got to redo everything. I I've got to get a PF Sense box in here. I'm just derelict in so much stuff. I've just gotten 
gotten way behind on everything. Well, I but, mentioned uh, earlier, earlier in the day, I had the old uh, Belkin router that, you know, one-click convert, uh, since I had the PSNs, uh, on a router box, one click uh, convert the Belkin from a router to just an access point. But I've had trouble with my uh, Chromecast dropping off of it and, and having to go back and reset it. So, you know, one of the projects I had was okay, I'll take one of my single board computers and, uh, you know, uh, well, it had a. a uh, Wi-Fi already built in. It was it was a Orange Pi Zero, but I figured no, that's not going to get get too far. But uh, well, yeah, uh, you know your favorite distro, Armian. Uh, they had both, uh, you know, a Debian and an Ubuntu, and I came across this page that you know was a while back uh, that. You know, uh, you know, add this PPA and make Ubuntu into into an access point. And I thought, okay, great. But you know, I got because I already had Debian on it. And I said, okay, we'll we'll wipe the card. We'll put uh, put the the Ubuntu build on it, and then grab the PPA and then install the package that said need to be, and the package was deprecated. Of course, you know, because it's about three years behind. Uh, and, yeah. so, you know, there was a manual way to go through it, but they'd only done, I think they only supported one uh, uh, um, uh, uh, wireless NIC, you know, only one driver. So that didn't work out either. And then I was looking today, uh, you know, you look in your email and new eggs, you know, oh yeah, these are our deals. And I'd wanted another, uh, you know, un unmanaged, uh, 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 hub, uh, network hub for the stuff that I wanted to throw over, you know, on my, uh, guest network that I didn't want, you know, I didn't want talking to, you know, my network where I have my information. I just want stuff to go straight to the internet. Right. And I've, you know, I, and I've talked about that. That's easier said than done with PFSense, apparently. That's one of the things I want to do. I want to create a set, you know, I've got a uh, USB Ethernet card plugged in. I want that to be completely segregated. And it's just the opposite. I can, I can ping everything on my own, you know, on the other network, but I can't get out to the web. So uh, I'm working on that. But, you know, my, my whole idea for that was, well, I'll plug that into a hub, and it's a 24-port hub, which is way more connections than I'll ever need uh, for that. But I, I, did, I did want a separate network for... Internet of Things devices that I don't want talking to my network. Yeah. Anyway, and I'm 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 back. Um, yeah, I'm back. Oh, cool, Seb, Seb, Seb. But yeah, I got to that point, and then ordering it said, "Oh, combine this with the Sonic Wall, uh, you know, ac access point." 
and I've worked with those before professionally, and, you know, uh, well, Tom Lawrence always touts these, and, um, you know, and I can't counter them. I mean, you know, wow, these things are just great. So, you know, rather rather than uh, setting setting up a single war computer, it's like, yeah, I've got an opportunity to get a, to get a sonic wall. This this is this is the way I need to go. So uh, that's that's what I did today. Uh, long story short, well, to probably way too way too long a story to be short now, but uh, that's. That's how I'm going. I still want to sit down and uh, figure out how to make a single board computer into an access point because, you know, Linux has commands in there for creating a bridge. But the trouble is you create create a bridge and then on the back side of it, you have to enumerate uh, the uh, uh, hardware address, the MAC address, for every device that's connecting, so you can't just put out a bridge out there like, or an access point like we're thinking. You know, uh, you you gotta grab that uh, that the MAC address for anything connecting to it and throwing it in there. Uh, so, you know, that's not, and that's probably the way you should do it for security. You know, have the MAC address of everything that's on your system and uh, verify that. But that's not the that's not the way most of us do it. Yeah, I, I run everything statically. Um, everything's a static ad- address. Have you thought about using uh, one of those bow cords? I've heard of that, but you know, remind me. Uh, it's a little board. It's the size of a postage stamp, and it's got uh, uh, OpenWRT installed on it uh, by default. It's a little Linux board, little little MIPS controller on there. It's got Wi-Fi built in. Uh, you can get a little hat for it that gets you one Ethernet, but it's got uh, five um, It's got five NIC cards on the thing, five ports, and it's the size of a postage stamp, literally. Um going to say it's about 360 megahertz. It's got enough, um, you know, to, to be a router. You know, it's plenty of power to be a router, but it's like the size of a postage stamp, literally, and it's got built-in Wi-Fi. I've got one of the original. Uh, they put the version 2 on sale. I just saw something over Podnuts. They were saying it was on sale at Ameridroid for $17. Let's see that up. Oh, Book wow. 2, yeah, seventeen ninety-five. It's uh, at the Mini PC Doors Mini PC Show. If you got a web browser, yeah. If you want to post a link into the uh, uh, Oddcast Planet uh, or or in the Mumble Chat, I'd I'd like to look at that. Yeah, uh, mm. you know, I, I get I, that done. I, I I was looking earlier. You know, last week uh, I don't know if you initiated it. There there was more than one person dropped in. The, you know, the arm box that you know running PFSense. And you know, I looked earlier on ARM because I I have the uh, the uh, Banana Pie router box, but you know, it's it's only IP tables or um, IP Fire. 
you know, there's not, you know, not PF Sense for it. Yeah, I was the one that said something that I had seen somebody do some sort of arm port somewhere, and it's one of these deals where I'm just kicking myself for not better saving back. I've got it somewhere. It's somewhere, you know, but my life is just so upside down. I stashed it somewhere, but somebody had done that, I'm pretty sure. Well, it must not be official because if you go to the official PFSense uh, site, you know, there's no build for ARM. I know. What have I done? And, you know, there's there's this company selling PFSense on ARM, so, you know, there's got to be a build out there for it. I have seen. I have seen it. And, you know, somewhere I've stashed back a link for that. It's kind of like when Door first... Uh, I sent Door uh, his first banana pie, and we were playing with them and stuff. And I found some distro that was really cool that fit on the thing. I think it was a Ubuntu. I think it was an Ubuntu image, not the official one. And I was running it, and for the life of me, I couldn't find the disk image. I'd saved it back somewhere, and he's like, "Where did you get that?" And I said, "I don't remember." I said, I saved it back somewhere. I've just got to find where I threw that. And I'm not sure I ever did find it. Uh, well, I've got a couple banana pies I've never used. I've got the I've got the router version and I have the pro version. The reason I got that, uh, you know, we, we, we were talking around on the Internet uh, about uh, crash plan. And I said, well, no, I don't have any place to off-site to a crash plan surfer and you know uh richard hughes says of course you do you need to do it at my house so i got as far as buying the banana pie pro but not as far as buying uh media to go along with it gotta get pasted i'm so containerized i'm in a vm uh i put some links in the chat not a link now if i can just get it over this other machine i can Paste it in there somehow, I guess. I got to get hold of my life, I'll tell you. I did the Kickstarter for the Black Swift. It's kind of like this Bocor thing. It's a little tiny chip. It's got Wi-Fi and everything on it. It comes with WRT or OpenWRT on it already. And it's a dual boot or a dual flash ROM somehow where if you screw it up or you forget the Wi-Fi password, you can hold the reset button and it goes back to factory default with all the Wi-Fi stuff reset again so you can log back into it if you break it. So if you brick it, you can basically unbrick it because it's got the factory flash and then whatever flash you stick on it. Does it have a reset switch on there? Is that number two or is that... Uh... It's not a Vocor. It was called Black Swift, and I think they changed the name. They're not actually in business anymore, but I got it off Kickstarter. Okay, I've never pasted a link into Mumble, but I got it ready. Hmm. Maybe that work. Yeah, that's the one I posted in there too. Okay. Oh, I Pine, see that. Uh, okay, uh, Pine sixty four. So, do they actually start selling those? Because I remember reading about that and thinking, oh yeah, I might get, I might get both of those. Although they're so cheap. Um, so you've actually got Pine sixty four, yeah? Jujuru. Yeah, I got a couple of them. They're still in business. They're actually making new stuff. They're they've got a like a ninety dollar laptop. They're making off the same. Similar architecture. Yeah, I read about on uh, OMG Ubuntu. Um, 
and it sounded like quite good. Um, but it's it's just basically a is it a bit like a Raspberry Pi, I guess, but in a but in a um computer case or well, I mean a little bit like, isn't it? It's an ARM device, that's what I mean. So it can't do certain things, but it's basically like having a phone, but it's a computer or a tablet, but it's like a computer. Or... Yeah, it's a larger. It's basically a Raspberry Pi but larger board, and it has a. It's an all-winner chip instead of the Broadcom chip, and then it's got le a less good or less fast graphics card. It's supposed to do 4K video, but I haven't got it to do anything substantial. Yeah, it's probably a bit like the next stock, which I which I do have. That's how they compared it to as well, but that's a bit different in itself as well because that's not even a computer really. That's more like a TV screen sort of, but a, a laptop where you turn your devices into a laptop with that when it works. Um, but I think it's a bit like that. Well, yeah, and I I looked at next stock and uh, past. You still get the, uh, you know, the old Atrix boards, which I I got one since seeing uh, doors at uh, uh, OLF, and it it does work beautifully with the Raspberry Pi Zero. Uh, apparently, it doesn't support a lot of uh, uh, resolutions because I tried plugging into my Pine Box. And uh, what else? Oh, Droid, I guess. Uh, and nothing came up, I guess, because of the uh, the resolution was not support. Oh no, wasn't the Pine Box? It was the well, was Pine Box not the O Droid, but the uh, fr you know one of my friendly ARM computers uh, that was a four core. And it ne never came up because of the. Uh, uh, video resolution. I guess you get in there and maybe try to hammer that out, but I don't think you'd uh, have much success. Uh, but seems you know plenty fast. You know for a really thin little client well, the, uh, the pi, pi with, with, with the RPI with the RPI zero. Oh, you got? Uh, are you talking about something with, that you put an RPI zero into? So they like the Pi sixty four. Is that what you mean? Well, it, you know the old the old Atrix. Uh, you know, uh, dock that they had that you know, was made made to go with the Atrix phone, and I was able to find connectors, not even have to solder anything, you know, to to plug it in. So with the Pine sixty four, is it basically the Pine sixty four put into um, sort of a laptop case with a webcam, I guess, and all the rest of it, and a keyboard? Yeah, and uh, as soon as they'll let me order one, I'm going to get one. Uh, a lot. Uh, I'm I'm hoping with the EMC, uh, there'll be enough room for uh, multi-booting because you know they're going to have a version of Chrome OS. They're going to have a version of uh, uh, was Android uh, Remix OS. You know, plus any any. Uh, and, and any uh, Linux that runs on the Pine 64 will run on the Pine 64 laptop. So I'm, I'm looking forward to playing with it, um, you know, but probably the huge bottleneck will be storage. And, uh, you know, my experience, I have a Pine 64 already, 
And the main thing is it came out 64-bit ARM computing two, three months before anybody else did. And then we had the Odroid C2. We had we had the uh, uh, Raspberry Pi 3 for the same processor. So if I'd known those were going to fall on that quick, I might not have bought the Pi 64. Uh, and my experience with it, I need to go back into it, uh, is that, you know, just the support for a Raspberry Pi being, you know, ten hundred times any other of the uh, small board computers. Uh, any any image I put on there, you'd run the uh, you'd run the browser, and the browser would lock up on a couple, of, you know, every single web page. Uh, whereas that had been worked out and figured out on the on the uh, Raspberry Pi. But it's the same experience I had with the C2. You open, you open up a browser, and not even anything that required uh, Flash or whatever, just a normal page. Any, any, you know, every second page, it would just lock solid. Which browser? Uh, Firefox. Now, they've had a lot of problems with browsers on those ARM boards. And I didn't really have any better experience, you know installing chromium or whatever so i've only got two arm boards that are just solid as a rock and they both run a real ubuntu unity desktop i think it's uh they run the 32-bit version i haven't tried the 64-bit i heard that it's it's uh, uh buggy but it's got real nvidia drivers on there and they are solid as a rock and, you know, part of the reason I'm around uh, Pine Box when I first put on, oh, I put that image that, oh, the one Door likes so much that is like the uh, Swiss knife of everything. It's, you know, you, you, you make a click and every kind of server is installed. And Diet? My pro yes, Diet Pie. Thank you. Uh, and That's based on Armin. It's a good. It's a good system. I, I I nailed it on my uh, single board computer podcast episode only, and uh, so far, <clears throat> but uh, just basically over the name, it's Diet Pie. Yet it comes with you know everything in the world uh, installed on it. But it's a good. It's a good system. Well, I blame myself because I was like a kid in a candy store, you know, set it up. Oh, yeah, I'll have that, I'll have that, I'll have that, I'll have that. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, I ran into the same problem with the browser, you know, the browser not being stable. I haven't really found a good stable uh, browser on an ARM board yet. Well, aside from the Jetsons, it was the only thing that reliably worked. And uh, it's sad. I've had a lot of trouble with browsers. Now, see, uh, uh, I've had the other experience. I mean, uh, one of the first single board computers I had hooked up, I, you know, I I had an RPI that was never hooked up or lost to the fire. But uh, I had I had one of the early old droids, and it was great, except. For a browser experience, they said, you know, no, this is not going to do Flash. Uh, not it. It does Flash if you install Android, 
But no, you know, it, it's not hardware. It's just nobody's written software to make it run Flash. Uh, you know, I never had any trouble browsing with it. I mean, what I usually usually use it for. I had a computer in my bedroom, and uh, you know, when I wasn't watching TV on it, I I had uh, IRC, you know, running on the Odroid uh, constantly in a window, and it was just perfect. Uh, you can long. you can get Flash on some of these older versions, and here's here's the trick. Or well, I'm not going to give the whole trick, but here's the kicker that tells you it's possible. If you can get it running on Android on an ARM board, you're running on an ARM board, and you're running under Linux. So it is possible to actually run that under a different version of Linux, i.e. non-Android, but it takes a lot of surgery to do it. So it's possible. It's just, it's kind of like running a Windows program on a, under Linux on a 8086 machine. It's very doable. The instruction sets there. You know, you got to get the underlying whatever it needs to get that done and communicate with whatever it is that you need it to communicate with. It's probably not going to be fun, which the wine people don't have a lot of fun, I suspect. Um, but possible? Yes. Anyway, I thought I'd throw that out there. Painful. How about that? Well, I mean, this computer I'm talking to you on now, it's an i3, uh, and I'm running, um, oh, what is it, the German Linux? SUSE. SUSE? Yeah. Yeah, I'm running OpenSUSE on this, and I'm having trouble, you know, if I hit a, hit a YouTube page with Flash saying no. Flash is not supported. And the other computer I set up, I, I uh, set up my gaming system. Somebody donated to me a, a Core 2 Duo. And, you know, I, I'm running uh, Solus OS on it. And no problem, you know, uh, you know, anything with Flash, it just runs. Well, I'm not unhappy about not having Flash. I got to admit, I know a lot of people like it because you know gaming and this, that, and the next thing, and uh, I guess video viewing. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, the, the, I would very much like to have a computer without flash at all, but you know, you do hit some websites, and you know, it says you you can't see this because you don't have flash. Well, like on this Pine sixty four today, I was running the Midori browser. And you couldn't look at YouTube, but if you install Firefox, you can. So I couldn't get uh, Chromium to run at all. Right. That's yeah. what I talked, you know, just talking about mo most of the images for Pine64, you know, Midori's built in, but then you go to YouTube, you can't see anything. Uh... I, I just want to say, uh, so the Pine64, is it available, the laptop, is it available to buy right now on the website somewhere? Because I, I didn't see any update on that. Not yet. Uh, when, you, when you go look for it, they say, uh, you know, give us your email address and we'll tell you when you can get one. Oh, it's on the in email address in my pre-order thing. All right, okay, well, I should do that, really, possibly. Well, they're telling us when it's available. 
But does that else oh, so does that mean Jarulo is on the normal Pine sixty four? Not the lap not the, the uh, computer, but just the normal one. Yeah, this is just the two gig version. Right, okay. And you know, I just think did someone just say Flash had an issue on Pine sixty four, was it? Well, I don't know about Flash, but I, you know, I've I've had trouble just in any browser, you know. Other, well, I think Midori is okay, but you, you know, put in Fire, uh, but Midori won't handle Flash. But uh, you know, you 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 install like Firefox or Chromium or whatever, and you're lucky if you can hit two web pages before the whole thing locks up. Like, yeah, I don't know, but I mean, it's, maybe it's because ARM partly in Flash was never made for ARM, was it? But uh, it, maybe talking about the Flash alternatives as well a bit. Well, I mean, you know, it's just web pages not made for Flash. You know, uh, I mean, Midori's limited, you know, to normal HTML pages, and uh, any, anything with an add-in that really doesn't work. But, uh, you know, yet you, you, you had a more advanced browser like uh, Firefox, and it seems to hang on just no- normal pages, not Flash pages, not anything that's you know, requires an add-in. It just locks up, and there you are. And what were you saying about OpenSUSE? I, I missed some of that. Well, at least on my desktop, you know, uh, uh, the computer I'm talking to you on, uh, originally installed OpenSUSE with KDE Desktop, and after a couple updates, you know, it would it would just hang if you try to boot in the KDE. And the underlying uh, uh, desktop manager was ISWN, which is what I'm running right now. If you if you boot into that, that was just fine. But uh, any other desktop that I've tried to install, I've tried to install. Uh, oh. Now I'm blanking, but I've tried to install other desktops and none of them work. They just hang, you know, sometime coming up. And ISWM is the only, only thing. <laughs> and really, you know, I, would, I wouldn't have thought that I would like such an old uh, desktop or window manager as well. But, you know, really it's doing everything I want it to do. Except, you know, I guess it's got no... Uh, 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 QT support, so you know I want to I want to run uh, oh not yet it G parted you know G parted will not run from here on this machine. You can't yeah. run G parted. No, I got, I've got to run uh, hold command line F whatever it is F. Uh, but I've got other. This is a Pine sixty four you're talking about. No, no, this is an i3. Oh, okay. Yeah, open source, so I never really got um, into that one. I don't know, Yas stories was, seemed a bit too much when I tried years ago and all this, but plus they've got a sort of link to Microsoft, don't they? But that's that's a separate thing. What, what I was just thinking there is uh, <laughs> I, I did see the MJ technology trying to crowdfund a OpenSUSE um, tablet or mini, well, mini computer, but um, I think that one probably didn't work out. I was just thinking about that again. Um, and then I've also thought, 5150, what else have you... Uh, I remember last year we were talking about all these 
various devices that you had either crowdfunded or bought, I believe. So, um, what's happened in the last year? What else have you been buying? Well, I'm still, I, I'm waiting on at least three crowdfunded devices. Uh, oh, and I can probably go back and get the names just a bit, but one, one of them is a 3D printer. And it's one of those deals where you have three vertical tracks that go up and down, and that's that's how it sets 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 the print head. Sorry. Uh, and the other one is kind of like a uh, Pi Zero, but it's modular. You know, it, it is meant or marketed as a uh, developer board or embedded board like a Pi Zero, but, you know, you, you get various levels. I mean, I did an article on, you know, five, uh, $5 computer that is, you know, that's actually $90 because you get the $5 computer and then you plug it into a board that has all your interfaces and then for everything else you have all these all these add-ons and you get to the point where you're doing the developer kit that has all the sensors and stuff uh does you know like ninety dollars so i have to go back and and uh, get the idea on that and the third one is uh uh mycroft which you know they keep uh you know delaying and making excuses and delaying and delaying was that the robot was that the robot yeah yeah yeah, well, the you know, sort of like an Alexa or the you know the new uh, Google thing that they have, you know, where you can talk to it and do home automation or you know get answers or whatever. Uh, and I kind of bought into that. Source Echo. Exactly, and I bought into that because I knew one of the guys involved in the project who isn't anymore. And uh, you know it's it's a Kansas it's based here in Kansas it's Lords Kansas it is their home shop and uh, you know I wanted to support that but it's been one thing and another and the last thing was you know they it, it's got a Raspberry Pi in the center but it's also got a uh, oh trying to think of the uh, uh, it's got an Arduino Mini. Arduino, yes. Attached to it. Ar- controls the faceplate. Yeah, and that's all. That's all it really does is light up, you know, the eyes and the mouth and whatever uh, to make it work. And they said, "Yeah, we put the two things together, and then we had RF interference, and we couldn't pass FCC, so we got to go back and and uh, re-engineer everything." And and got an article from them the other day that. Finally, down at the bottom, they said, "Yeah, you you can still you can still get uh, you know if you if you paid for Mycroft, you'll still get Mycroft." But reading through the whole thing, it seemed like, "Yeah, you know, we didn't ever guarantee anybody was going to get actually get anything physical. This was crowdfunding, and you know, seemed like they were making excuses, like, you know what? Yeah, we took your money, and uh, we're we're taking off now because." We, we, you know, it wasn't enough to finally develop the product, but they are offering Well, their manufacturing that. turned out to be crappy, so whoever they outsourced their stuff to got more than one thing wrong, and so now they're having all kinds of problems because of it, and they probably can't complete what they thought they could. 
Right. They are still saying, you know, if you if you paid for, uh, you know, a, a physical device, you'll get your physical device. But they're saying, you know, hey, you know, Google's out there now, and there's two or three other open source projects doing the same thing. If you would like to donate your device to academia or something like that, yeah, we'll change the address on where we send it to. But, you know, the whole article was, until the very end, it was very much like reading like, yeah, you know, these crowdfunding things, we don't guarantee you actually get anything in the end. Well, that is every one of them. I mean, you're never guaranteed you're going to get anything. You're not even guaranteed you get your money back, I don't think. Yeah. But, like, when Pebble <laughs> um, crapped out, they gave me 80 bucks back because I still had an order in process. So, I mean, at least I got some money back. But, you know, I got two devices and some money. I just didn't get my third device. So I don't really yeah, care. I, I mean, I, it all worked I, out. I've crowdfunded a few things in the past uh, two years or maybe three years now even. And it was all fine enough except for one where he basically... <laughs> well, one of the first ones I did, actually. That was the one I had a problem with as well in the end. And there was like a tablet that was going to be uh, sort of customized Android, but a bit different. And um, it was, it was going to be sold quite cheap. And it was on Indiegogo. And I thought, I was, it was probably about the third one I'd done. So, so I thought, oh, this looks sort of interesting. It's quite cheap. I've got some money at the moment. I'll uh, crowdfund this one. And so I went for the like, there were different perks. Like if you buy pay more you get two of them or you get one with slight upgrade better battery more storage and all the rest of it and um that was a cheap one more basic one but then the website and the campaign was all a little bit there were certain links broken on his website and uh, well when i no when i tried i went for the cheap one i i tried to claim it back tried to get the device but he was like no you need to put your details into our page system on our website the website was broken, the pages about finding out more about the device were broken and things like this. And I got into an email discussion with him and I was like, no, um, look, your, your pages are broken here. Do you? He was like, I was like, oh, I was, I was thinking of buying, Pat I was like, I was thinking of buying Patreon. So I would get the two devices were better as well. And, and, and he was like, oh, I can give you, um, I can, I can give you Patreon for a discounted price. Oh, and the, uh, Google Play voucher that was being sold in in the campaign perks that actually only worked with Singapore as well on this particular one. He told us has been an email, so he's like saying you can buy Patreon at a discounted price without the, the Google Play voucher, and you would end up with three of them plus the stand plus this plus that. And um, I didn't really think it through so much originally, so I, I sent an email. Well, I basically said in, in one sentence, I said, "Okay, I will, I will have everything basically." And then that's when my problem began, because this was in August, so it must be about two years ago. He's going to ship these tablets out in September, and he got to September. And I got, I, I think I had 14 days to cancel, but I emailed, but there was no response. Got a response to sort of late middle September, and it's like, oh. uh we actually got a parcel for you in Singapore right now. It's closed. It's we don't really want to open it up, um, but if you pay more, you'll get your devices, sort of thing. And he put everything on freeze as well. So even the tablet that I paid for, that was all frozen. He wouldn't send anything out. 
he's wanted like another £200 out of me. Um, trying to get out of it still. And I sent some more emails, and he's like, oh, he just refuses to send anything. And then I ignored a few emails, months went on, I sent another email. There's not some massive response, but that was it. So basically, this, you know, he basically went off with my money, and, <laughs> and I got nothing in the end. And I maybe should have gone to Indiegogo and complained about this, but apparently they don't do anything because they go, oh, it's crowdfunded, you invested money, you didn't buy it. Um, but I lost on that one. But other, otherwise, um, everything else is okay. Even even Yola, who people were complaining about, I got my, well, my half refund so far. Um, the... Hoshima will heard about Yola. I mean, I've been at Fosdem and I've met people there, and I know somebody sort of from that, so I trust Yola. But, um, but yeah, I got re- half refunded there. It's just that, that one other one I had problems with. But that's the thing with crowdfunding. Um, like somebody said to me at, at my Lens user group, he was like, oh, it's a bit like a Wild Wild West. It's a gamble. It's like giving your money to the bookies. And, but in general, I think it works, but you have to be a little bit careful which one you go for. Who you give? Who you put money into? Well, I ran into a custom deal similar to that with my uh, Remix Ultra tablet. You know, I I, I uh, got a call from the custom service and said, "Yeah, we have this package for you, and we've no idea what the hell this thing is." And uh, finally, talking to him and where it was coming from, I said, "Oh yeah, that's my tablet." And uh, uh, they said, "Well, we need." We need to verify by contacting the company, you know. So I went online to try to give them a uh, address or a phone number, or whatever, to contact uh, uh, the the Jide people, and I was able to find something. And apparently, they were able to contact them and verify what was in the box because I it, I eventually got it in a few days. Yeah, Jide. That's um. <laughs> so yeah, I had to deal with. Two Chinese companies last what's now last year twenty or you know twenty fifteen would be Mizu. Mizu wasn't crowdfunded. That was the Ubuntu MX four, and I had an issue there with well, a slight issue. They sent me the wrong color, so <laughs> of the phone. I was supposed to get the gold and I got silver, which probably was a better color anyway. And I contacted them and I got these really bad Chinese written emails, and I just gave up on that one. But but I had the phone button just a different colour. But then I had to deal with Jide that same year or the year after because I had crowdfunded the Remix Minis and I had gone for the tablet perk as well which you get because I hadn't had Jolt's tablet. And, but I hadn't filled in the Kickstarter stuff in in time when you're supposed to do That's annoying about Kickstarter. You, crowd, you do a campaign and they straight away want the details and they start nagging you about free emails. Fill in this questionnaire, fill in this questionnaire, fill in this questionnaire. But your address isn't even going to get sent into another six months or so and um so i didn't do the, the questionnaire so i was like oh i should have probably filled that questionnaire and so i contact got in contact with jai directly and i would say that they were, had very good customer service very good um email contact and they were like oh oh yes we can send you your ultra tablet uh, talking about colors it was like i think i got the maybe the different colour, what I was left in stock. But yeah, I got my old tablet. Although now I've done it again, where I haven't gone to Kickstarter straight away with the Remix I.O. So I should be able, I should get the Remix I.O. Um, plus the Remix I.O. Plus. But I have to contact them again and I shouldn't go okay. But I don't like being nagged on <laughs> by Kickstarter to fill a questionnaire in so soon after when your device isn't even going to be going in manufacturing for another few months there anyway, I would have thought. 
I'm going to go in Ken Fallon mode and ask you when you get the Remix IO that you do a review and put it on uh, Hacker Public Radio because you know one of the things we've run into with the Remix Mini and uh, the Jida Ultra Tablet is that the processors and those things I guess are not eligible for any sort of Android updates. Who should have a review? Wait, who did you want to have a review of that? You say Ken, or did I? Yeah, you know, Ken. Ken appreciates any show. Uh, oh, you're asking me to do a review. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Once once you get the Remix IO, you know, if you if you wouldn't mind doing the, do doing an HPR on it and talking about it because. Uh, Why? Well, I, I, possibly it would be my first actual proper show because I've only really been in this so far, which doesn't count. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, the Remix Minis. I've never really connected those, and really never really did much with them. I tried to put on my next dock. That's something I did try and do, but it... HPR may be getting some shows. Yeah, I think this is uh, my two-year commitment for HPR because I've been on 2016 and now 2017, so I'm good to go. Well, I've I've got a commitment out. I promised some shows that I haven't delivered on yet. They're coming. But interestingly, uh, we did all the audio for uh, the Ohio Linux Fest. It's for almost 50 different talks of an hour. And uh, my wife listened to them and did all the editing and blah, 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 blah. And we've got a couple of Google Drives uh, that are uh, stuffed to the brim, and they have not downloaded it yet. And... A matter of fact, yesterday I, I sent out a, uh, a letter saying, if you don't download these like now, uh, I'm handing them over to Packer Public Radio because they're on uh, the Creative Commons license, and I've got to free up this Google space, and have a nice day. So, oh, I, Yeah, I've been meaning to ask where those were were available so they're not they're not available online yet anywhere they are not available now they came back and said we will get on it immediately sorry we're been slow but we really uh, linda and i did that linda did the most part she actually had to listen to every talk at 1x speed because it was really hard to find where they started and stopped and because they just ran the car the recorders all day long and so she had to listen to all that and cut it all up. And then Dor did the intros and uh, we pasted them together. And then I wrote scripts to, uh, well, I took, they supplied scripts that I had to rewrite uh, that uh, tagged them and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then we packaged them up and then we did some audio processing because uh, it was, the audio was really not that great. And uh, so we gave them four different versions of each of the shows and i'm going to say there's just short of 50 in total there's uh there were six rooms at least six talks per day plus friday so there you go let's see six rooms time but that's 36 plus 642 yeah there's at least 50 well there's just short of 50 somewhere between 42 and 48 i'm going to say shows in total i forget the exact count well, I mean, I've been mean to say thanks to you and Linda and the door for, you know, all the efforts you uh, put into that because, you know, uh, all all of us who were, you know, uh, 
manning the uh, uh, the podcasters table, we really didn't get to see much in the, in the way of talks, and uh, you know, and and really that's probably the best way. I mean, we might have. If we've been a little more organized, we might have said, okay, you know, you and you, you be here on the table for, you know, between here and here, and then the rest of us will go roam. But, you know, I I, I, re- I really think of all of us being there all the time, that was probably the most effective way to be. Yeah, you know, people that gave the talk, everybody wants the talks. And, uh, you know, Linda put in a tremendous amount of effort into that. I just hate to see it go to waste. Plus, I had to I had to bribe her to get her to do that work. Uh, I had to get her a Olaf T-shirt and a couple other goodies, and I just don't want to see that stuff go to waste. But it's I had to use two different Google accounts to upload it all. I mean, that's how that's how much audio there is. It's a lot. Uh, Google gives you what fifteen gigs, I think. And I think that uh, there's, there's two of them. I think it's 20, 29 gigs in total, something like that. Anyway, if they don't pick that stuff up like shortly, which they said that they would, um, I'm handing it over to Public Hacker Public Radio. That's my plan. And for those of you who don't know, Joe's uh, brilliant idea this time around at uh, Ohio Linux Fest, I mean, previous years, you you may have had not recently, but you may have had tables for individual podcasts. So there might have been a Linux League Tech Show table, or there, well, there was not might have been there was, and there might have been a Hacker Public Radio table. And, and yeah, thank you. And uh, separate uh, for all the podcasts. Uh, but you know, Joe's brilliant idea is let's just have a podcaster's table and whoever wants to participate, sit down there. And, um, you know, I, I, I have talked to door in the intervening time about, you know, and, uh, this is a nascent idea, you know, come up with some sort of organization that all the, you know, independent non-profit uh, open source podcasts could jump in and join. Yeah, I, I hope that that goes places and, you know, in future years. Um, the Ohio Linux Fest was very pleased to uh, uh, trade out uh, what I claimed was, you know, we're, they're going to get a bunch of publicity out of the deal. If we got all these podcasters talking about the Ohio Linux Fest, they're going to get the publicity from it. So I got them to up a couple of tables, you know, in, in exchange. And in previous years, everybody's been, you know, paying a few hundred dollars to get a table. And, you know, I just got, you know, hey, we can trade um, talks. And so it was a lot of management trying to find out where all it was mentioned and whatnot because they wanted verification that they were getting the publicity for the tables. But, uh I think that in future years, that's going to be possible to continue that. I think it'd be a good thing. Yeah, because, you know, after you left, Kevin O'Brien, a hookah, and I, uh, you know, made made a point of going in and saying, yeah, you know, uh, Joe provided all all these uh, mugs and stuff at a, 
you know, gratis for everybody, and, and how much on top of that did he have to pay for the table? And we asked the management, said, no, no, you know, it was a trade-off if, you know, talk about Ohio OLF on your podcast. Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was really a deal. Linda and I were coming back from the doctor's office. He gave me uh, permission to travel, and uh, Linda says, let's go to this Linux Fest thing. I said, oh, yeah. I started thinking, I said, well, I wonder if we could get a little table for the podcasters. And before you know it, we had, I'd worked my magic on the phone, managed to get a room at a hotel that was booked up and managed to get tables at Ohio Linux Fest that had no tables left. And it worked out for everybody. Well, like I, you know, I, I've uh, told people since then, it's, you know, uh, we mentioned OLF on Linux Slugcast. I, you know, I think the the Linux Slugcast previous, just previous to the uh, to the Linux Fest, and you were on there, and you said, "Yeah, I might be able to make it to that." And then the next thing I knew, you know, by by Monday, you posted, "You know, yeah, we've got a table." Yeah, <laughs> it, it was it was fast. I mean, I I got I think it was a Friday. I got permission from the doctor. I came home. I wrote door on the uh, on Hangouts. I said, you know. Okay, I just got back from the doctor, and he's like, okay, give me the news. I can take it. And I said, well, I got permission to go see some lug talk about raspberry pies on uh, uh, Olaf. I'll meet you there. <laughs> I'll meet you there. And I said, uh, what do you think the chances are we could get a table? He said, like, zero. And I said, give me a minute. Give me a minute. I, I called him up and, and said, you know, hey, how'd y'all like a bunch of publicity from a bunch of podcasters they said we'd love that i said you got to give us tables i said we'll do that i said i'll supply coffee mugs they said we got just the place right next to the place we're going to be serving the buffet and the coffee and i said this we'll take it and you supply power and wi-fi and they said you got it i said okay next thing i know we were on our way to the linux fest y'all y'all did an announcement on the Lugcast. hacker public radio did did some stuff and we got on a number of other podcasts too. That was good. Good. I'd like to see them do that again. Although I'm not sure I'm going to do the audio again. <laughs> someone may, someone else may have to take that one on. Well, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to go to PegaCon again next spring. Uh, probably since it's not, I, again, it's not going to be the same, uh, weekend. Uh, uh, North, Northwest Linux Fest. Oh, I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. Linda wants to go so bad. She loves Northwest Linux Fest. God, I want to go to that. Well, at least I'm going to PegaCon, and I'm pretty sure I'll try. I'll, you know, I'll do both. They're a week from each other, but, uh, you know, there's people I like to see at both of them. But I don't know. If we can't do a table... It would be nice if we could just throw up a banner somewhere and say this this is who we are. You know, because uh I was blown away. I, 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 I you know, Kansas Linux Fest, I've been promoting our podcast, our independent podcasts, and it didn't surprise me that much at Kansas Linux Fest that people did you know, people didn't know anything from Linux podcasts outside uh twit and jupiter networks uh okay i can accept that but you you know we were sitting there at uh ohio linux fest and people didn't know anything uh, uh about hpr or tilts or you know or whatever and that just you know that kind of threw me back and 
you know, it, it'd be nice to, even if we didn't have a table, be able to put up a sign somewhere, you know, saying this this is who we are and this this is where you can find us. Yeah, I'd like to see that. When, when is Penguin? When and where is Penguin? Is a week after, a week before? Yeah, the the week after uh, 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 Northwest Links Fest. It's like, I guess the first weekend in uh, April is it, or first weekend in May, whichever it, one it is after. It'd be yeah, it'd be May. So I know um, Northwest Links Fest happens on Linda's birthday, so she's always after me to as a birthday present to take her. Well, definitely I want to go to PingoCon because I found out looking on Facebook, you know, just here the other week, a fraternity brother that I haven't, uh, you know, uh, got together with in like 30 years. He, You know, he's like 30 miles out of Detroit, and here I've been in, you know, Detroit <coughs> the last two years and not caught up with him. So, you know, definitely that's happening. By the way, that noise that you heard, uh, that was a, uh, man, I've got a Pine 64 running Armbian, well, a specialized version of Armbian that I built, that I put, uh, it's a video sublayer in there, some plugins that I managed to string up with Firefox. And it's doing multiple tabs, multiple YouTube tabs without locking up or anything. I just thought I'd mention that because you're saying you're having some trouble with that. Yeah, well, I need to get back. You know, I, I had trouble initially with the C2 and with the Pine 64, and then they got set aside for a while, so I need to get back into it because, you know, time fixes a lot of stuff. I have got this thing, and that was, by the way, that was turned down to 0 0.2 gigahertz, so it's it was a low CPU setting. I've got it supporting a lot of... Um, video formats that it's not really supposed to for, uh, support. A lot of MKV stuff. Um, I've got a, got a specialized, I call it my kitchen sink build FFmpeg. It's, it's just basically a hacked up, totally hacked up version of FFmpeg. But yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it works. Well, a lot of us jumped on the Pine 64 because it, you know, it was the first uh, microcomputer out there with 64-bit ARM. Uh, and, you know, if we, I think a lot of people, they known well the C2 or the Pi 3 uh, or whatever is going to come out in a couple months with the same exact processor, then they, you know, they might might not have grabbed it. But uh, as an early adopter, I jumped on it, so... I jumped on it. I'm not sure it was the first, but it was the first low-cost one for sure. I know the NVIDIA, they've been 64, but they didn't have a 64-bit operating system. I think Pine was the first one to really push that they were going to do a 64-bit version of the community-wise, I think. My mind's a little fuzzy on that right now. Well, like I said, I, I am very interested when they come out with the... Uh, uh, the the pine the pine uh, netbook or laptop or whatever, uh, because you know it, it's it's just gonna well I think it's gonna blow away the cheap the, all the ARM Chromebooks, at least people in our in our community know how to how to mess with them and the uh, 
you know that the uh you know the laptop where you where you stick a uh, a uh, Raspberry Pi into it like Door had and all that you know why why would you you know that was three hundred dollars why would you do that when you can get one you know for eighty bucks with the pine already in there you know I think I said this was Army and I'm not sure that it is. One of my problems is I got so many of these boards with so many of these little cards, and I got boot crazy on every one of them. I'm not quite sure which one I've got where running what. But I will say I've got a Pine 64. I'm looking at it right this very second on screen number screen number nine, um, and it's running multiple uh, uh, Firefox tabs with YouTube videos on every one last one of them, and running smoothly with uh, uh, audio and video. I know that's one of the problems that I had with uh, Armbian on, I'm going to say the Pine 64, and I know the C2 was getting good audio and video support out of there, and I had to go in and go underneath the hood, and I've got some uh, specialized builds, as I said, of uh, of some video uh, layers, and why I've been buy, able to get it to work. Why buy a Chromebook? That's the question I'm about. Why buy a Chromebook? Why buy well, a Chromebook? I, I, I probably wouldn't unless I went in and put, uh, oh, what, you know, the application lets you run full, uh, full Linux, uh, applications on it that I, that I am, uh, spacing out on right now. I've got a Chromebook. It's on the floor. A bunch of keyboards piled on top of it. Crouton, that's what I'm thinking of. Crouton, yeah, definitely. I would, I would probably not get a Chromebook and, and, you know, except that, you know, I, I could go to Crouton after it. I got one for curiosity's sake and to do a little development on, which I've never really done much, and uh, it collects dust. I haven't been really pleased with it. Everybody says they're real happy with it. It basically just feels like a dedicated web browser well there is that and you know i have to admit 90 percent of what i do these days is through the web uh you know uh you can't probably edit audio or something like that make make a uh, podcast with it but you can do a little bit you can do a little bit of that it has uh some relaxed um permissions that you can you can manage to get I was kind of surprised at some of the things I was able to pull off on it. Oh. You know, I, I've come very close to buying a Chromebook. I was, well, if I if I had uh, not heard about the uh, uh, Pine, uh, you know, uh, laptop coming out, I think I definitely would have bought a Chromebook from uh, uh, Walmart on their Black Friday sale because they had one was. I think it's an Intel, actually, not a, not an ARM for about a hundred bucks. I'm just turning into an anti Google guy, and and then I shut the I shut down my Chromebook and set it on the floor and started stacking stuff on top of it. I mean, yeah, you can run a, a disk on a Chromebook, but it never seemed that exciting to me to mainstream, I guess, to Google. So, Joe, if you're out of Google, what do you like for email server? What was that? T. Joe, what do you like for an email server if you're not using Google stuff? Uh, I have one 
Google. Well, actually, I got a bunch of Google accounts, but uh, I I run my uh, email off of one and one. Uh, it's the only thing that they do right, I think. Um, just private pop accounts, lots of them. Well, not really pop accounts so much anymore. IMAP accounts, a lot of those. Uh, a lot of email aliasing. Give everybody their own email address. If you're going to talk to me past the, my little web page where you can write to me, I give you a, a custom email address. Everybody gets one. Every company gets their own. And that way I can turn them on or off or see when an account's been compromised and just go at it old style. Oh, I'd love to be able to do that. Um, yeah, it is to laugh. You guys can, you, you guys can, uh, give me the business all you want. Uh, you know, I have my 5150 account on Gmail, but, you know, the account under my given name that people I do business with, etc., access is still a Yahoo account because that was one of the earliest ones that you could go out on the web and get. And, yeah, I know all of the security stuff that has gone wrong. Uh, I knew you were going to say Yahoo. Yeah, just just on my end, you know, it's it would be too much hassle to inform everybody that I know and do business with that I'm moving over to a different account, you know, and, and until the next egregious thing happens. I could relate with that. Um, I'm not alone in my uh, handing out email forwards to people. I know another guy who does that. He says he's got like a thousand of them. I'm not sure I'm up to that many, but I've got a, a lot. And uh, it'd be a hassle to move it all, no doubt. Well, I mean, I did change my password. And then, you know, if it, there, there's nothing in those emails that I would be concerned about the NSA reading anyway. Right. I use Google, but I've got pretty much everything is outside of Google. And I've got hundreds of email accounts, and, you know, they're not alias, but they all dump in the same one of three or four accounts, and then I use Google to check those and read them and reply to them so I can reply as those people without having to log into them all separately. I suppose I could do it on its own somewhere, but that's how I get it done. I mean, I'd love to have it set up that, you know, every, you know the contents of every email was encrypted, uh, like 330 always says, you know, I have nothing to hide, but I'll be damned if anybody's going to find that out. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, but it's, well, if you're sending an email to more than one person, a blanket email, then you, you, you couldn't do that. You'd have to re-encrypt it for every person and just, that. oh, I know all you guys, you, you know, you we could all get together and do an encryption thing, but well, in ninety eight percent of the people that receive email from you aren't going to be able to read it or encrypt it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, email is such a hassle. I don't know. I've got I've got a bunch of email accounts, and I have them all forwarding to one big account that ends up forwarding them to one big place, and then I end up sorting through it all. Even well, my I mean, G- even my Gmail. I don't get my Gmail from Gmail. It goes through the system. Well, I mean, there was a circuit court decision the other day. I saw I think down in Florida uh, that 
you know, if you have a phone with encrypted stuff like an iPhone, that you can be coerced uh, to provide the password. In other words, any any stop, you know, the cops stop you for anything. They uh, they're legally allowed to grab your phone and get all the information off of it. Right. And, you know, if they ask for the password, you're supposed to provide it to them. Of course, you can always refuse, uh, but, you know, you you would be in, con- you know, contempt of court or whatever if you did so. Yeah. I'm not going to jail over them decrypting my phone, I don't think. I'm principled. I am principled, but I'm going to draw the line there and have the phone. Well, I'd like to think I might, you know, but... Uh, yeah, you're right there. Uh, I I might go so far as to take the phone and slam it against the side of the truck and you know say, okay, good luck. Yeah, I'd like to do that. Because I guess until you're under a court order, you're not going to get in trouble for that. I suppose. I don't know. Around here, I think if you did something like that at a traffic stop, they'd probably cap your ass. <laughs> probably so. Probably uh, You know, last time you, I got do, pulled over. Many years ago, but um, uh, I freaked the cop out. I, I rolled the window down. I held my hands out. He approached the car. Says, "What are you doing?" I said, "I want you to know where my hands are. <laughs> I have nothing to hide. I'm not going to make any fast moves, and I want you to feel as safe as you can possibly feel." So, did you just get out of prison or something? I said, "No, I just." <laughs> don't want to freak you out. He says, you're freaking me out. I said, good. I hope it's in a good way. He actually did appreciate it. I've asked cops that in travel. Going to Kansas, as a matter of fact, uh, one town we always stop at, always have the highway patrol or whatever there. And I asked, so what do you do? You pull somebody over and they hold their hands out the window so you can see them. And I said, we'd be thankful, but we think that you just got out of prison or something. Well, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, three years ago or whatever, uh, I was at a gun show and uh, bought a pistol. And that, you know, county sheriff actually was there at the gun show. And I went up to him and said, you know, uh, I, I want to make sure, you know, that I'm writing everything. And, uh, you know, on the way home, I was planning to pick up some cartridges for this pistol. But I don't want to leave it sitting uh, on top of the bench seat in the, in the truck where everybody can see it, and it might get stolen. And I said, "Is it okay to put under, you know, to slip, slip it under the seat while I'm in Walmart?" And he's, you know, and he said, "You know, first it's," he, he says, "It's as a as a police officer, it's none of my business if you have a firearm, and I don't want to know if you have a firearm." I guess I've been on the wrong side of things a couple of times too many. Um, Two quick stories. Uh, We used to, uh, Lynn and I used to sail everywhere. We got a sailboat. And uh, we've been boarded by U.S. Customs a couple of times. And one time they, uh, outside of uh, West Palm Beach, Florida, with our kid, we lived on the boat for a couple of years and, you know, with our kids and the dog and the cat and the whole nine yards, we're talking little kids. I mean, my, my youngest daughter, I think was maybe two, two or three, you know, still had a stuffed animal kind of thing. 
They boarded our boat. They tore the whole boat apart. I mean, to the point we had to have it shipped back to Texas and repaired. Um, they tore everything apart, tore the stuffed animals apart. Um, they um, had their hard-soled shoes, which kind of surprised me, um, you know, and just uh, rubbed them into the deck on purpose kind of thing. But, you know, they ripped my kids' stuffed toys apart. They took my books and tore every page out looking for, I guess they were looking for pot or some the smallest of anything they could hang us with. They found nothing. And what really burned me up was the next day, um, we had gone to a hotel uh, and called uh, our yacht broker in Texas and said, come pick this boat up and get it repaired, take it back to Texas, get it repaired. And we went downstairs. We were at the embassy suites to breakfast, and the U.S. Customs Service was having a uh, some sort of get-together. And those guys were there in the breakfast line with us. I was just madder than could be because, I mean, this cost a lot of money and ruined our vacation. But back on that, we had come from this little town in Texas just east of Dallas. And we kept reading in the papers about how they would pull people over and we'd actually see this where they would take the cars apart on the side of the road and just leave people with their cars half disassembled and stuff. And we were reading where they were confiscating people's cash, you know, and where they would pull people over and they would search the entire vehicle. They'd search the people. They'd find a little bit of cash. Families on vacation, you know, you might carry, you know, a few hundred dollars, maybe a thousand dollars. And if you couldn't prove where you got the cash from, that they would confiscate the cash until you could prove that it was legitimately gained cash. I'm not kidding you on this story. And it turned out that they were getting away with this because the sheriff's department people were cross-certified as U.S. Customs officers. And they would pull somebody over and they would log out as being a sheriff's department person and log in as being a U.S. Customs official. Then they could search the car and do whatever they wanted to without any repercussions from damages due to some law I'm going to say was from the 1860s that basically uh, it's a tort act, some customs tort act that protected them from taking things apart, for example, to examine it. And you know, it really started to occur to me that you don't want to mess with these people when they want to search you. If they wanted to search your phone or if they wanted to do whatever they want to do, uh, give them a wide berth, let them do what they want to do, and and don't give them any trouble because I'll tell you what, the minute that you do start giving them some trouble, you're going to get trouble back in no uncertain terms. And as I said, I'm a principled guy. I'd like to stand up for freedoms, but you know, there's a point at which you might want to look at a situation like that and say, maybe you're going to lose. <laughs> and there's not a lot you could do about it. Maybe. Yeah. I've never run into something like that. You know, definitely huge miscarriage of justice. Uh, you know, well, there's a TV show that they were making light of that years ago. Well, the, the Kabish, if you remember that. Uh, you know, and, oh, hey, there's this gangster. Let's dis disassemble his limousine and, you know, down to taking the engine apart and, throw, and scattering all the parts around. And, uh, you know, and, oh, we didn't find anything, but, yeah, this 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 guy is got to ruin the car now so we 
we count that as a victory. Uh, you I've know, seen uh, it. I have seen it. I've had neighbors that have had that happen. I mean, nice. I don't want to, you know, like oh, a nice Christian family or whatever, but these people were a nice family who went to Florida on vacation, and that's what they got out of the deal. I've seen it here. I've seen it back in Texas. I've seen it all the way between here and Texas, and I know that it happens. And I sat back and read in the newspapers about it. This is really has gone on, you know, all under the pretense, I guess, it's the war on drugs or after or whatever. But it's ridiculous. I mean, they will literally, it's so bad. Linda and I, when we travel, we carry a little cash with us and we carry Xerox copies of where we've cashed the check at the bank. Here's a picture of the check. Here's the transaction from the bank. Here's the bank statement backing up where the cash is coming from because we've seen this happen. And I mean, read about it in, you know, for example, the, uh, uh, our old town in Texas is, little town called Rockwall, smallest county in Texas. And you could read in the Rockwall Success, that's the name of their newspaper, how they would pull people over and confiscate their cash. You're carrying $200, we're confiscating it until you can prove that you didn't get that via illegal means. That's crazy. Well, I didn't realize they were doing it on such small amounts. I, I've, I have seen, you know, people like, well, somebody had to move across country and they just, you know, cashed out their uh, bank account and was carrying it in cash and going across the country and got stopped. And, uh, oh, that much cash? No, you must be a drug dealer. So, you know, and it took them like three years to get their money back. Mm -hmm. I have seen that happen. And, you know, that's why, I mean, uh, not two feet from me in my little file box down over here is a package that we carry with us when like when we went to Olaf, you know, that we carry with us to show that's where the cash comes from. There's your pictures. You know, there's the Xerox copies. And we're ready to go on that because we've just seen it happen. I don't know what I'd do about them taking the car apart. You know, I've seen that happen as well. I think that's just uh, it's abusive. You know, I mean if you've got a re well, if you really got a reason delicious. you pull somebody over and they've got drugs in the car or something, maybe, but you know, nice family traveling on their vacation to Florida, that's ridiculous. And I've had we've had this kind of stuff happen. I mean, it's like uh our little boat. I mean, we know that, you know, if you're boating around in South Florida, you want to be careful. You don't want drugs on your boat. You know, you gotta be figuring that you will be boarded by U.S. Customs. You know, and they're going to want to look around. And you think, well, these people are going to be somewhat reasonable. They've got a job to do. And, you know, let them do it. But there's a point at which the job that they do goes overboard. No pun intended. Well, you know, uh, this kind of borders on something. Uh, goes back and forth in... in, in uh, you know, I, I'm a big advocate of, uh, you know, uh, Second Amendment rights. And, uh, but, you know, I, I, I've always thought it would be better, you know, if you're going to carry, carry it in the open so that, you know, you're not surprising anybody in law enforcement. Everybody can see it. Everybody can see you coming, whatever. And then I've heard other people say, no, you don't want to, you know, 
you walk around, you're going to freak everybody out that way. And, uh, you, you don't, you don't want to, you know, put that out there for thieves to try to take it. Well, yeah, but if you're going to argue that, then you shouldn't have a, you shouldn't have an expensive watch or jewelry or, you know, good clothes or anything like that. True. Well, you're talking about, you know, like carrying a rifle down the road. Not a rifle. Uh, and, well, unless I'm hunting or something, yeah. Uh, then a rifle or a shotgun. Uh, but, you know, all these instances of that was pretty much, you know, down in Texas, people were saying, you know, it's absurd. It's, you know, it's it's Texas, and you can't carry a hog leg on your, on your hip. Uh, you know, that, you know, that's, that's where, the, and that all got sorted out this last election year, uh, that, you know, they, they did have constitutional carry for open carry and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, means, means to have a carry license for, uh, uh, hidden carry. So, you know, that, that's all kind of worked itself out. But, you know, all these things you see on YouTube or whatever, you know, looks like crazy guys carrying their ARs into the coffee shop or whatever. Uh, that's, <coughs> that's where that came from. <coughs> you know, <coughs> here we are in Texas fall places, and you, you, you can't carry a gun. Yeah, I'm reminded of when I took my family, uh, I used to go on these uh, summer uh, vacations with my kids. We'd go, like, visit all the national parks north and west of the Mississippi River, all the way up in Alaska. I mean, some of these trips were, you know, 13,000-mile trips. And one year we went up into Canada, and uh, we got to the border, and the lady's like, you're from Texas. Uh, yes, ma'am, we are. She's like, uh, you can't bring guns. I said, well, we don't have any guns. She says, uh, wait a second, you're from Texas and you're not carrying a gun. I said, no, no, ma'am. Just a few children in the back seat and some stuffed animals. She said, meaning if we take your car apart, we aren't going to find a gun. And I said, no, ma'am. And she said, I don't believe you. And I said, well, we'll know what to say about that, except for here's our passport. We'd like to enter your fine country and uh, visit your fine national parks. And she pointed me over to go park your car over there. And they went about taking our car apart they were nice enough to reassemble it but uh, they just refused to believe that we were from texas and not carrying a gun into their country well canadians are very polite so if they take your car apart i would expect that they would reassemble it well they were very nice about it but yeah i i mean uh kansas is far more progressive on uh gun laws uh long as I'm not a felon or whatever, you know, I can take a gun, you know, and conceal it or, well, we always could uh, tote a gun around uh, open carry except for a couple of the municipalities where you're going to get shot. Uh, you know, that wasn't legal. And, uh, you know, when when the law changed, it was like, no, you, you know, uh you cannot do a municipal law that is going to be uh, beyond what Kansas law is. So, 
that took care of that. That uh, you know, if you're in the communities where you're going to get shot, yeah, you can you can carry a gun if you want, concealed, not concealed, whatever. Uh, it's called constitutional carry, and I'm not, you know, I I know not everybody uh, uh, agrees with that, but that's the way it is here. I don't have a problem with it. I'm not I'm not a, uh, big into guns, but I think that you should be able to carry. I'm big on that. I always think Archie Bunker got it right when he said back in the 70s when they were having all those uh, hijackings on the, the planes. And he says, you know, you want to stop all the hijackings? Arm all the passengers. Well, yeah, this is this is my argument for open carry. You know, what what robber would go into a place and try to hold it up and there's two or three guys with guns on their hips? Well... There might be a couple, but they aren't going to last very long. And, uh, I, uh, Linda, Linda puts on TV sometimes. I don't watch it very much, but I saw this uh, on the news where they actually uh, videotaped some guy that had a gun and was holding people, you know, with the gun and going crazy with the gun. And the police officers were sitting there saying, you know, put the gun down, blah, 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 pleading with the guy. And I'm like, you know, that's really what's wrong with the world is that the cops are there to do their job, and there's a guy with this gun, and they're giving him the easy way out and and asking him politely, you know, to put the reasonably politely to put the gun down and everything when they should have just capped the guy almost instantly. Um, you know, so that's part of, I think, what's wrong with the, the world. The, this world needs to be minus that person. And that's, it may sound cruel and, you know, might be mentally disturbed for all I know. I'm pretty sure he probably was. But, uh, you know, if you got somebody with a gun and they're holding it to, you know, and causing trouble with it, you know, the police should be probably faster to act than they generally are. I think a lot of times they generally aren't. And, uh, and, and when they do, you know, they they empty the whole magazine into a guy. Uh, you know, you know, we've got the castle uh, doctrine here that somebody comes to your house uninvited. You pretty much uh, what whatever you do is justified. But you know, if I've got thirteen rounds in a magazine and I empty the whole thing into a guy, they're going to lock me up. They're going to call it excessive or something. You know, but if you're a cop, you know, that that's just a standard operating procedure. And if it bounces off and hits uh, bystanders, whatever, well, I guess that's collateral damage. I uh, actually had the opportunity to test some castle laws one time. We've got that here in Florida. And I was not as pleased as I thought I would be. I didn't shoot anybody. Well, we were waiting for that shoe to drop, uh, but go ahead and tell the story. Um, basically, somebody came over saying that uh, um, uh, they tried to take our cat and uh, then came back with the cop saying that uh, uh, because I grabbed the cat from them, that that was uh, uh, not assault battery. Is that what it is when you touch somebody that they don't want to be touched? <laughs> In some way that's offensive, but you haven't actually. Battery, I think, would be if you touched them in the nose. 
I think here it's the other way around, but uh, yeah, the um, the laws here weren't just quite as clear cut as they were supposed to be, or whatever. We got one judge that was, you know, everybody gets their day in court, but he could see this was, you know, kind of a crappy deal um, by law or something. I was actually supposed to be arrested, and held, or whatever, and blah blah. But the judge bent the law and said, "Nah, Mister X, okay, this, this is bullshit." But, uh, yeah, it, it ended up costing uh, a lot of money to defend that, to defend our rights for that castle law, uh, my house, my property, my cat, basically, you know, leave. And, uh, you know, they could still come back with the cops and say, you know, well, they touched me. You know, I didn't want to be touched. They grabbed the cat from me. Um, you know, I was not so pleased with the, with the deal. It was all very silly, as you could imagine. But. I don't know, call that $20,000 worth of legal fees silly if you want to. I called it. Well, no, I see this uh, every day, uh, you know, or an organization. Uh, well, they get your name when you buy a gun online. Uh, but, uh, you know, say, you know, $30 a month and we'll protect you. You know, we'll do your legal fees if you have to use a gun in uh, self-defense sort of thing oh really yeah yeah and uh well i'll bring it up for you here in a minute but it was like you know last thing they did was a guy who teenage daughter broke up with her girlfriend or boyfriend maybe had some of the boyfriend's stuff uh was being threatened you know on the phone very explicit bad things and you know this guy was a veteran and a law enforcement you know veteran law enforcement officer and said okay you know we'll we'll take this time and you come over and we'll return what the daughter has or whatever and next thing he knows that you know something's they come over and something's going on The daughter's been knocked down or whatever, and he he runs in the house and gets his firearm, but he doesn't holster it, you know, so he's running back out with the firearm in his hand, so that's brandishment or whatever, and then, you know, he's the one who gets arrested, Uh, (coughs) so, you know, for, for assault. Just not shooting anybody or threatening anybody. <laughs> I've seen that just, in two just, states. Just, yeah, just having the gun and saying, you, you people get the hell off of my property and keep going. Uh, you know, then he got arrested and, you know, but he got, he had this insurance or whatever, which I've been thinking of, but it's like 30 bucks a month. Uh, you know, but if that ever happened to you, you'd be glad to have it, I would think. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think uh, the NRA has a similar amount of insurance if you're an NRA member. But, uh, yeah. I have seen uh, in two different states where if you call the police on any sort of um, domestic kind of argument, Kind of thing. I'm not even going to say violence, just some sort of argument or something, that somebody's going to jail. Now, it used to be that the guy was going to jail. It didn't matter. I mean, I've seen that where 
uh, uh, too many times I've seen that. One example was uh, in this little town of Rockwall, Texas, we used to live in. There was a, a, some drunk woman who was giving this guy hell in the parking lot inside her I just started at a Kroger, and he was like, just leave me alone. I just want to leave. And she was, like, standing in front of the car so he couldn't back out and all this kind of stuff. It was just crazy. And there was a bunch of people who were witnesses saying the the woman was crazy and was obviously, you know, uh, uh, inebriated or whatever, and that the guy had done nothing. I mean, he had done everything that he could not to touch her, not to – uh, you know, he just quietly wanted to leave, and she was not even letting him back his car out. And, of course, they're going to arrest somebody. And back in those days, they arrested the guy. And uh, the the witnesses were pretty upset about this because it wasn't his fault at all. You know, she should have gone to jail for, I don't know, public intoxication or whatever you want to call it. But I've just seen that time and time again where, I guess in some places they have laws that say, you know, if you get called out on any sort of domestic disturbance, that somebody has to be taken to jail. It's pretty unfortunate, I think, because a lot of cases it's undeserved. Anyway, I know you want to be careful testing uh, the spirit of these castle laws. They don't live up to what you might expect. Have either of you ordered the um, Omega-2 that... Or the onion I.O.? Hello. Who's, who's still on this? We won't we quite. I'm here. Should be everybody unless somebody walked away. Everybody walked away because you were there. <laughs> and I, was, I was listening. Um, what to chat about? Am I back? It sounds like it. Oh, everything dropped out. Everybody, yeah, everything got quiet. I was asking if anybody ordered that um, onion IO Omega 2. I, I saw that on um, crowdfunding, I think. I, I didn't get it, though. I got one. They just sent out the um, shipping notification a couple days ago. Oh, what it's is this? Like an onion router? No, it's, it's like the Vopor. It's a little 64 gig or 64 meg uh, Linux on a chip board. Yeah, it's a bit like the Raspberry Pi, I think, from what I, from what I saw, and I guess this Pine 64 that we've been talking about as well. But it's more like a, it's like the Vocor, it's it's a little tiny chip, but you, it's big enough to put a full Linux distro on it. The only, only thing with things like that, um, you know, Raspberry Pi or, or Pine 64, or um, even the, not so much the Remix Mini, but, you know, you have to... You have these little things, but then you have to always connect it to something else, which I don't like so much because. It, but um, I got the uh, I did craft from the pocket chip on your hands, so I've got that its nice little case, and then you get normal chips sent as well. I got like one or two of those that you can do your own thing with. But that doesn't. I like having sort of a you know a device that comes with your screen now, or if it's a small thing, or um. But I suppose the Pine 64 laptop, for example, would, would then be that because you're getting your screen, you're getting your, your keyboard, you're getting all that with it. Because otherwise, you've got to sort of like think, how am I going to connect these things? What am I going to use it for? And that doesn't really appeal to me that much. I've been 
programming or trying to program those little SB01 Wi-Fi chips. Those are pretty good. But they don't have much memory by default, but you can increase the memory on them. But you can actually put uh, MicroPython on them. So I've been watching the Adafruit videos and putting a couple of those together. So I'm going to make a sign out of one of them. Yeah, but let's say you're Pine64 then, for example, which is just like, yeah, well, I have an idea what that is, but how do you use it? Do you connect, do you connect this to a monitor or um, keyboard or, you know? Well, right now I'm using one to talk to you, and it's running a full desktop, and the other one I'll probably put together as some kind of media server. But but you need to but you know it's like a desktop in that sense that you need to connect it to a screen to to use it basically is that right I think so <laughs> yeah if you want to use it as a desktop it's just like a Raspberry Pi but it you know it has different features a lot more GPIO pins and that kind of thing yeah that's that's what I thought it's like a Raspberry Pi Really, I've got two Raspberry Pi, but I haven't really done much with them so far. So <laughs> not connected properly, actually. Um, I, I should in a way, but then it was there's a component missing for one of them all. I have to put it together or whatever. But but I do like devices that give you a screen straight away now. I sort that personally, and you know that you can just use it straight away. Yeah, I don't really need any more screens. I've got a tablet, a phone, and TV screen, and a computer, and a laptop. Everything else should probably be headless. No, yeah, yeah, but in small devices, so like the Pocket Chip, for example, that's a great, that's a great example because that's got came with like a sort of case thing where you can unscrew. Well, there's no screws actually. You can take it, the plastic case off. You can customize it. You can put a pen in there and use it as a stand. And it has a basic touchscreen there by default. That's, that was actually a very interesting thing. It's Debian based. It's a Debian device, so you can basically run all the Debian um, um, programs on on there. And it's it's a worth a look up if you missed that one. Pocket chip or those the normal chip as well, which will be similar to your Pi sixty four. What's the memory on the chip? I can't remember. <laughs> it's, I think the spec, the hardware specs are quite basic. I think, but it's it's it, the whole point was it's supposed to be cheap as well, like a um, nine dollar mini P computer. Or however, they used to market it or ninety nine dollar. Um, yeah, it's supposed to be like one of these cheap things that was crowdfunded. But it's it's actually quite a interesting device. It's quite geeky as well. And I haven't done that much with mine so far, to be honest. But you can do a lot, lot with them, because you can run basically all the, the Debian ARM programs, and it's got its own custom interface and all, all that as well. Some programs by default as well. So that came out just before the Pi Zero, right? That that was on crowdfunding um, about. Yeah, that's a delay. The, the yeah, it took a delay before they shipped the devices out. Won't be mixed up with the order boy, but yeah, about two years ago or a year ago, it was on crowdfunding. It was Indiegogo. Yeah, I think I just got a couple of Pi Zeros, and that's kind of the same thing, except doesn't have the screen. How much is it with the screen package? Well, they sell it on the website now, I believe. With, with like I'm saying, and there might even be a slight update now. Let's have a look. Now that I'm kind of okay, stuck with Pi stuff, I've, I've been printing Raspberry Pi cases with a 3D printer.
Go to getchip.com. That's what I'm talking about. Getchip.com. Yep, I have one. And, oh, one thing I was talking about uh, before I got disconnected is, and you guys have probably seen that, uh, you know, with the violence against peace officers in the past six months or so, you know, things folk on uh, floating around Facebook, uh, you know, if you if you saw a law enforcement officer in trouble and you had the means to intervene and help, uh, would you do so? And I think we all would. Yeah. Would but on the other end, you got you got to be thinking, uh, you know, uh, other cops show up. You got a gun in your hand and you're not in uniform. You're going to get shot. Well, you also have the problem of how does the cop know you're there to help him and not there to ambush him from behind? Exactly. So I don't think I would. I I would retreat and call other cops and say, hey, there's this guy in trouble. Come quick. I don't see a good outcome of a an individual trying to appear to be helping a cop in trouble because unless he's incapacitated, you're going to be in trouble of, you know, getting a shot from both parties. Not, of course, unless your police are not armed and you're not armed, in which case there's no problem. Well, then there'd be lots of yelling involved, and that's so uncomfortable. Yeah, God, that'd be terrible. Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. This year into the last hour of the official fifth annual HBR New Year show, and I'm awake. It's actually... Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year, but isn't it actually afternoon just in Holland now, I think you are. Correct, Mondo. Still the New Year, though. Is it really early, or have you just had a lot to drink? No, no, haven't had anything to drink. I was with the kids, we did the thing, we did a look around, uh, and then we just got up, had breakfast, and now it's afternoon. Hey, kid, I finally took your advice. You should have gone to bed, sir. Yeah, a little too well. There better not have been any talk about gun control when I was away, 50. <laughs> no, I just brought it up again. I, I must have magically known you would be in the channel now. Sure, sure. It's not about gun control, it's gun non-control. Well, I don't know how much you heard. We were discussing that... No, it's okay. It's fine. I don't need to get involved in gun control discussions. Thank you. I'm going to go post some shows, and uh, I'll be back here later to wrap things up, yeah? Yeah, so, 50, you said you had a, a chip as well? well? It doesn't surprise me. That was one of those interesting crowdfunded things that came up. So you, have the, you have the other one, the car thing. Um. Well, the three that, I, that I've running is the, uh, uh, is the Mycroft and... Then there's supposedly the $50 uh, 3D printer, which, you know, was actually $100. I've got that, and I, I can come up with those. And then, um, you know, the $5 computer that was actually $90. Uh, once you, you know, if, if you wanted to opt for all the plugins. Yeah, 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 okay. But, but I said, did you have a, a pocket chip? I thought, I thought you said you oh, had yeah, one. Oh, yeah, I, I do have that. Yeah, yeah, have, you, have you been using it uh, properly at all? Or do you, I mean, do you think it's good? I thought I think it's pretty pretty good for a cheap um, <laughs> Debian-based device. 
Well, that's what I got. You know, it was a full Linux device I could put in my pocket. Uh, but the, like I, I said earlier, the main drawbacks I have with it on the desktop is <coughs> the desktop is only going to display the, you know, four or five options that comes with the computer. You know, you can you can you can go into the uh, terminal and do uh, you know apt get install open office whatever. But that isn't going to, that's never going to appear on your desktop. Yeah, well, uh, LibreOffice, I think you meant, but, um, yes, I, yes. I, I've, I've noticed that too. They have their interface and all that nicely set up, nice setup ways and all the rest of it. This is what you can do. Here's your default program and all that. Uh, um, when you start putting your own programs on, you have to, by default, they will not go on the desktop. I think there is a way to get them to appear, but you have to do that yourself. Right, and, you know, like like I said, when I got it, it, it you know, there was the edu- educational games aspect of it. You know, in other words, there were a few games, but there was also a, a games editor, you know, for educating kids. And I thought, surely some, you know, device with this specs, somebody is going to port RetroPie to it. And we haven't seen that yet, but I think it'll still happen. I just want to check, is uh, Jay Rulo still about as well? Can you, are you listening to us? Or, uh, I guess not then. <laughs> oh, well, we can carry on anyway with the chip discussion going in the podcast. You know, but it, it's a great little computer. You know, uh, when, it, when it came out, it was like, yeah, $50, $50 Linux computer, I can stick it in my pocket, I'm all for that. Yeah, exactly, and just just very interesting. Did you see they had a dash bot now as well? I didn't get I didn't get that one, but um, they have that as well now for for a car. Yeah, they do seem to be innovating with uh, more devices on on uh, you know on on the chip website. Did you get the Ultra Boy as well, or did you miss that? Audrey Boy. Yeah, yeah. The only thing I've got right now is the pocket chip. You, you, did you see the Audra Boy as well? Audrino Boy, Audrey Boy, yeah. No, I guess that's new to me. Oh, that was just like a um, basic gaming device. It was a bit like the Game Boy, very small card size, and you, but you, you could uh, the fault game was okay, but you could put, but you could put, other, you could put other games on through their, their software, and there's loads of games made of Audrino. Okay, I may have to look at that. It's black and white. It's like classic style, but it, 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 it's geeky. It's kind of interesting as well. Um, so these are games just made for the Arduino. They aren't ported from something else. No, I think it's actually made for the yeah Arduino. And there's a lot of games out there on on online for that, but I haven't actually got got around yet to trying to put on another game. But but there's like thousands of games, I believe, actually. But they're all sort of black and white, sort of classic style gaming. Um, it's um, and the device is very small as well. But I got five of them. I wanted one in every color, so I got all five. So you got like Nintendo, got blue. Uh, sorry, got blue, green, white, red, yellow. Yeah, I'm not usually into games very much unless there's lots of death and explosions. Well, yeah, yeah. So that's not really. It's not really the thing for games or explosions, but it for something that 
it is a bit like the past, but it's interesting. It's one of those things. There's also, do you see any of the Vega Plus stuff being crowdfunded? The, spec, the Vega Plus, like I've got one of those coming. They've delayed it now because of a hardware change or something, but that's the old Sinclair games. It's a British thing, actually, that one. Um, you might have seen that somewhere or missed that one. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, probably not marketed very well on the side of the pond if it was, you know, for the Sinclair. Well, it was on the Indiegogo, that one, but but again, people could have missed it or whatever, so. And they've done one the previous year, I think, as well. At Ardure Boy, they have all the stuff on the website, so you can build your own. Oh, you have that now. And uh, you might miss some of that, but yeah, Ch um, 50 had a chip as well, and he was saying how it, I think he was basically saying it was good, like I was saying, but but yeah, if you put your own programs on, they didn't go on the, the desktop, PF, and things like that. But well, you can ask 50 himself, yourself if you missed that. Yeah, I heard that conversation. And then the, the, the thing now as well is these um, ultra mini PCs, I believe they're called. Um, so basically, I like I've got I've got two of them actually, a DPD stuff um so one one is about android gaming it's like it looks like a nintendo ds but it's basically set up so that you can do emulation you can play all these different games um but then they crowd the crown funded the gpt win this year as well and I've only, I've only just received mine quite recently about a few weeks ago and the gpt win was basically to have have it with with the game controls it looks like an Nintendo Zero. It's got a keyboard on there as well, and it will run Windows 10. However, you can put Linux on there as well, and people, when it was being crowdfunded, people were like, oh, are you going to put, will it run Linux? And it was all like, oh, yeah, you probably can, but then the hardware support would be a bit questionable as to how, how well it would work or not. So I I um, got my DPC win, came a few weeks ago, and I loaded up the Windows 10. I went through the... It didn't even connect to the wireless yet, but I'd gone for the Windows 10 setup wizard and got that far. And then I thought, hmm, well, I'm going to actually uh, factory reset this device because I kind of want to do the setup wizard again. And it's one of those things, it's good to know it works anyway, if you can factory reset and how that would work or not work. And so I did that. And, um, well, guess what happened? <laughs> it didn't last particularly long uh, until I had a problem, but... But yeah, basically, it 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 stopped my device from working, and it was going spinning around on the screen with their logo. And then I looked on online, and there's a bug or something. But then I thought, okay, so that means I'm gonna have to reinstall Windows if I if I want Windows on here. That's gonna be a bit annoying because I don't have a install media for this, but there's something I could download. Um, and you, you get Windows 10 free because it's sort of five inch device, it's a small device, so they get, you actually get Windows 10 for free and, and, le and perfectly legally as well. Um, but then I put Linux on there, I put, I put Ubuntu on there, and, um, and considering that this device was never intended to actually run Linux on, on there, it actually works quite well, I would say, even, even though um, the only problem there is it's got a Broadcom wireless. So that means that it doesn't just go onto the wireless, which is a bit annoying. I think there's a way to hack it and get it actually working. Um, the the touchscreen works, that's fine. The rotation 
is on the side by default, but it can be spun around. But the point is, what I've got there is basically a mini PC. It's got it's got a 64 gigabyte SSD space. It's got a, an x86 processor, and it's <laughs> it's actually quite nice. But the only thing is, the screen resolution then is a bit small. But it's but considering the screen size and the device, it's not too bad. But that's actually quite interesting. Upgrade around the core or something like that. I I got uh yeah, it's a little computer problem there anyway. Uh, uh did you hear he said to call something and then I some stuff crashed but I'm back now. I was just asking, is that the small computer where you basically buy a kind of a core chip and there's some things around it and then you can upgrade all the other pieces to make a different kind of laptop thing if you wanted to? Mm, no, well, no. It's, I mean, it's got an Intel processor in there as well of some sort. So all, yeah, it's 2016 hardware, or most of it. Um, and But you, you can't really customize it, no, but but you basically have a mini PC. Basically have a, you basically have a, the equivalent of, say, a desktop PC we're, we're from 2010, that's how they that's how they marketed it on on the campaign. The hardware is about as powerful as a desktop PC from 2010. Well, I recently bought and really haven't ever hooked up yet the uh, Foyo V2, which you know Intel processor, about the size of a couple decks of cards. And uh, my mistake was you could have got it. You know, I got mine for about 70 bucks. You could have got it with an internal hard drive, and I just assumed it was like a laptop hard drive. And I had one laying around. I thought, well, I'll put that in there. Uh, but apparently, internally, it's it's a proprietary, like, 1.3-inch hard drive. If you buy it with the hard drive, and uh, one person that's posted on the link said, uh, "Yeah, it's it's a it you know it's not a SATA connector. It's like USB anyway. So it's you're you're not hurting anything to connect it to uh, USB SATA. But you know it's a it's a dual core. Uh, Atom. I don't think it's Atom, but you know." Probably like 1.3 gigahertz, and uh, you know, inter- interesting computers you could carry around in your pocket, I guess. But you know, I I, I wish I'd waited till I had a case uh, use case to to uh, establish it, because right now I don't see anything I can do with it. I can't do it with an ARM-based computer. Uh, there's a couple of things that have come up. You know, there's that uh, uh, media sharing software that only works under Windows that people use. There is a thing came up a couple of years ago, uh, sort of like TeamViewer, but it would you know you would you would pay for it without paying a you know huge extravagant fee. Uh, but you had to set up your own server for clients to be able to download it and install it and that only worked under windows so i you know use case like that that you've got something 
only works under Windows. I can I can I can see this. Uh, otherwise, you know, I'm not sure I can justify why I bought it. Well, okay, two points here. So the GPT Win is basically you have you know you've got a lap, you've got a screen, you've got a keyboard, you've got game control hardware, you've got you've got your mouse. Uh, where you make a mouse or on there, so it's like it. So the hardware is similar to a desktop PC from 2010. The hardware wise, about as powerful as it is, and that also means yeah, it's got USB ports and all that. You can put you can put your external hard disk in. You can put your various USB devices in there. Um, but but yeah, because it's got a Broadcom wireless, it, for example, it means that the Linux port is <laughs> it doesn't really work. But considering these two, these issues I talked about just now, okay, there's that. This rotation is on the side, but you can change it around the terminal anyway, and it generally works really well with Ubuntu, even so, uh, when I try. So I think that's impressive. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's really, it was really designed for Windows. But there are other things like that as well. There's been the open Pandora in, I think it was called, in 2009. Um, that's going to be replaced by the Pyra. That's the big Linux device that's coming. Um, it's going to be quite expensive as well. There was another one that was crowdfunded that I missed, but I read about the other week. Can't remember what's called now. Um, when I was looking up, 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 looking online about these computers, um, there's not that much in that market, but it's it is an interesting area, I think. Well, I've got two of these <laughs> devices now, so the Android one, you can't really put Linux on there. We may be able to, but it wasn't really intended for that. That's sort of stuck to Android, I think, really. But the DPT Win, on the other hand, is, is much more customizable. You can put very, you can put pretty much any operating system on there that runs on x86, because it's basically a desktop PC, like I'm saying. Still here, somebody? Well, I, I, I think the the community will jump up and be interested in anything that is cost effective. Which, which community? The mini PC communities or the? Well, the mini PC slash uh, open source community. I'm not sure there's a huge uh, mini PC proprietary software community. Well, it's not. It's not so much the software. It's more the the actual hardware that's out there and isn't out there. Because like like what I'm talking about. So the DPT Win or the DPT XT was the Android thing. But then there was there's Pyro, which is the big Linux one that is like the one that people are supposed to really have who are wanting this stuff. There was another one that was crowdfunded, but I can't remember what's called. But I read about it the other week. There's about four of these things in the market currently I think maybe five and so there's not that much for a market there currently but but the, the devices themselves that's actually pretty interesting stuff I think it's a great idea there actually being you know you could basically have a desktop PC in your pocket or in your bag or, or a mini laptop but yeah I, li I like small devices more so than big devices I want something that's portable I got to get more portable. Yeah, yes, a lot of us, I think, have been chasing that idea. Yeah, there's various attempts, but a lot of the stuff is actually still pretty big in general. I mean, if you stop talking about laptops in here and things like that, then, then that's big. Even our Pine laptop that we're talking about, even the 11-inch, that's still a big device. 
next stock is big but um actually the next stock wasn't that big but in big in the sense of big as in general something like the deep sea wind which i was just talking about on the other hand that's small that's you know it's like about the size of a nintendo ds that's a small device but a good device for what it is i mean that's why i got the pocket ship um you know something i pull out of my pocket and get straight to a linux terminal um you know, more more than uh, you know, think uh, you know, jumping straight into something graphical like Open Office or whatever. Uh, but you know, still not quite ready. Still carrying, you know, uh, still need to get used to carrying it around. The pocket chip is good, but that one, in a way, is too small to, because. You, you know, you could go out and you could... That's one you could probably use a bit easier, depending on if you're not careful enough, because it is quite small. Um, again, with something like the Old Boy, which I was talking about earlier, that's the size of about a, about a size of a credit card, a bit bigger. That's, again, the kind of thing that is maybe a little bit too small. You could you could lose that quite easily, depending on how you're, you know, what you're doing. Um, but, well, you can, well, you can use a... Well, you can use most small devices, but some more so than others. That's what I'm trying to say. Or, or you're more likely to possibly lose that one than the other one. And someone come come up to me and say, uh, what can you do on the pocket ship that you can't do on Termux on your phone? And I would not have a good uh, reply at that point. I think I'd, yeah, I think I'd probably be the same to that, really. But I would say, oh, well, it's... Yeah, it's got, they've got their own interface, they've got their own wizard, they've got their own all that, and you can actually run most of the ARM um, stuff from Debian on there anyway. But but yeah, it's basically just a small um, De- Debian, and, Debian device, I guess. Was that, Jay Ruler? You got a good point on that. No keyboards on phones anymore, unless BlackBerry makes a ridiculous comeback. I've got way too many computers, but at the end of the day, I use a lot of remote desktoping or VNCing, and I don't know whether I'm in front of a real machine or not. And a lot of times I actually do use my phone to do that kind of work. I don't know. I want something smaller and portable, and I'm wondering if the solution really isn't um, some sort of remote, go 100% remote. Wait, wait, small, small device that will do what? Basically, remote into a more powerful devices. Well, obviously, from the MIDI PCs, that's something that I would have thought would work or should work as well, because it's remote connecting. But I haven't tried that, but I would have thought that you can probably do that kind of thing as well with those devices, or should be able to. You can. I mean, I meant like. The final like... solution is a Johnny Mnemonic display that connects to your phone and you can sit and type in the air and do whatever you need to in VR. Oh, there you go. I don't know. I've got like 30 laptops. I've got in front of me right now, I think there's 27 screens in this room and I'm, I wonder why uh, really do. 30 laptops, really? What? <laughs> yeah, okay. Why, why, why is that? 30 laptops? Well, I spill a lot of coffee. <laughs> It's a long story. I started out with uh, five of them because I do spill coffee. I bought them with warranties, and, you know, they could fix them in three days. 
kind of thing. And uh, I learned that a long time ago that when your work depends on one of these machines, that uh, you better have a few of them because, you know, you're going to end up dropping one and it breaks and you break out another one and you're going to end up spilling coffee on that one. You better have a third one at least. And ended up were these cheap laptops though? Or, uh, or no, they no, they were, they were uh, top of the top of the line HP laptops at the time. We'd buy them, uh, take them apart, put in you know bigger hard drives and whatnot. I bought two extra for my wife. She has to have one, but she spills coffee too, so I got her a second one. So we ended up with five of these things, and then. Uh, I guess we bought four-year warranties for them. And again, these were nice laptops, 17-inch screens, Core i7 processors, that sort of thing. The warranties ended, and we went out on eBay, and uh, with a parts list, we had the service manuals for them. And it turned out that HP had dumped, I guess, thousands of these laptops to these people that parked them out and sell the parts on eBay. So we ended up buying the part list for you know, spare parts, because we said, you know, these are decent laptops, they'll live a long, long time, and for cheap, we can just buy, you know, replacement touchpads and this, that, and the next thing for them. And before you knew it, we had this pile of parts, and I started scratching my head on that, and we had spare motherboards and spare screens and spare keyboards, and uh, I had bought like 20 keyboards from the factory in China for like seven dollars a piece you know we had a substantial pile of parts and a couple of christmases ago two or three christmases ago i decided that you know i could take a lot of these parts and just put them together and have extra laptops and we did and so now i've got like i think i've got 32 of them. <laughs> i don't know what i'm going to do with all of them so that was just personal use not not a company <laughs> not a company or whatever just, just well, no, i i do work on them and uh, I do have a need for a lot of screens. I can't really discuss why, but uh, I do a lot of graphics work on the fly in real time for the company that uh, contracts me out. Oh, oh right, so, so it is it is for business as well. It's not just it wasn't just you buying. I mean, it wasn't just you buying personal laptops and then. Oh no, 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 no. none of this is none of this is for personal. This is all business use, and. Uh, I literally, everywhere I go, I have to have my laptop with me in case I'm contacted and said, I've got to do some work right that very second. And well, uh, Yeah, yeah, the, the five laptops you have to have with you. It's true. And uh, on top of that, I, I have uh, uh, a lot of servers that I administer, over 300 actually, mostly done with scripting. So most of those are remote. So, I mean, I can't tell whether I'm here or there. Um, and I've got 21 arm boards that I keep plugged up. I don't exactly know why. I just play with them. That Most of that is personal. Some of that's business. About half of that's business. So that is the, uh, the work that I do. They're switching over from using airplanes to using these little drone things, which are controlled by arm boards. That's the story on that. And it takes a lot of screens to keep all this going, I suppose. Too many. I'm trying I to guess, escape it. Yeah, I guess, you're, I guess you've got a big storage room or something then. I'm sorry? 
I guess you've got a big store, a, a big room to put the, the laptops and screens in. It's so much to keep up with. I mean, I've got a house full of wires and screens and cables, and I'm trying to escape it desperately. Uh, it's gotten to be too much to deal with for one little T. Joe, anyway. Well, there we go. That's why the mini PCs need to take off. So you can have fifty um, mini PCs in hardly any space at all. You know, I, I play a lot with these digital ocean droplets and stuff, and I see um, where developers use Mac Minis remotely. Um, you know, they need to develop, uh, I guess, for iOS, probably most of them. And rather than buy a uh, Mac, they just rent it online to compile because you have to use the Apple hardware and compile on the Apple hardware and submit from the Apple hardware and all that kind of stuff. And I noticed that they, they do this remotely now. I'm starting to think that maybe that might be, uh, that might be an option for me as well because a lot of the stuff I do is also remote. A lot of the compiling that I do for the, for the apps that I build is, uh, built on computers all over the world and comes back, uh, you know, it all comes back and links on someplace else. And a lot of it is done on machines that just aren't physically here. I'm wondering if that's not really where the ultimate solution lies. You don't buy a, maybe you don't buy a pocket chip anymore. You just rent it virtually or something. Maybe use one, maybe use one or your phone to get to it, but. Uh, like I'm still looking here. I got Odroid boards and Raspberry Pi boards, and the way I kind of wonder why do I have to even have them? Why aren't there? Why isn't there a farm somewhere where I can just remote into one? Yeah, I see your point. You you you, you just rent out or rent access to the computer that you want access to at that time. You know, actually, there is a place that was. Uh, there's several places that were hosting Raspberry Pis uh, with forward facing. High-speed uh, internet connections to them, and uh, you could either send them your Raspberry Pi, or you could rent one by the month for outrageously cheap. And I guess if the uh, internet connection was fast enough, uh, it might be almost as good as having one in front of you. I've had really good luck with using VNC to uh, broadcast screens. It's not the same thing, but I think they've been, you know, there's been some of this for gaming, hasn't there, where you would. You remote connect into some game and you would play a game online or you were, and you would get the game from the internet in the first place as well I think most of these places were hosting uh, using them for hosting web servers but to answer your question I or to kind of answer a question or even make a question I was renting a uh, Odroid XU4 in Germany hooked up to a uh, uh, gigabit Inter- forward-facing internet connection. It was pretty interesting. I actually put a virtual desktop on it, and it ran almost fast enough where I could run, I could get a graphic screen from it from Germany, delivered right here to Florida, and it seemed pretty real time. Kind of interesting thought, I suppose. Well, yeah, you can you can do a lot of. I mean, you could do a lot of remote stuff, I'm sure, but it's still the internet connection as well, the speed and all that. Yeah, you're not going to get any good GPO work done that way. But hmm. I wonder at what point these little boards decide, you know, that you, you might be able to get them, and they don't even exist. They're just 
memory, a virtual memory image of a board running somewhere, a droplet, so to speak. Yeah. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.